0: Does have it all. All of our pre owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128 point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties a two year 100,000 mile powertrain warranty, and a 30 day 1,000 mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Has it all.
1: It's that rare kind of July 11th day where all of a sudden I'm driving in. I'm like, wow, we've got like Handful of relevant topics to talk about today.
2: Yeah, what are the odds of that? Including free slurpees all day at 7 Eleven, I think. Really? Yeah. Oh,
1: that's a good, healthy way to start this <laughs> Tuesday morning. Yeah, a
2: little bit of everything
1: today. Obviously, the All Star game tonight from Seattle. You had some, I would say, early fireworks in the Home Run Derby last night, which I, I feel like tends to be the case. You get like these, you know, unbelievably adrenaline rush filled rounds early on, and then guys just kind of taper off. With that, Vlad Guerrero Jr., who, Jake, I believe that was your pick, correct?
3: Uh,
2: Mark and I both, right? No. Mark had uh, Mr. Garcia. uh,
3: Adoles Garcia. You you had Vladimir Guerrero Jr., so congratulations. Kevin, you had... Who'd you have?
1: I went sentimental. I went for the hometown oh, guy, yeah. Julio Rodriguez. It was a hell of a run. You looked good to start, but in typical home run derby fashion, whether it was Luis Robert early on, whether it was Julio Rodriguez there, and then I would say Randy Arozarena fell into that category late. Guys ran out of gas, but uh, Guerrero Jr., who looks like he—gosh, I just love his swing. It's just all just absolutely taking
2: slashes at it. He's you know, your home run uh, champion. Seventeen years after his dad won it, I, I think the home run derby is is pretty cool. But to to your guys' point, my interest level is kind of like their swings, right? Like after the first couple rounds, I'm kind of like, okay. Why does everyone get a thirty second bonus? Yeah, I don't. Why not
3: that's just, if, I well, thought that was if you hit it like a certain the distance. You had to hit like two balls that were like 425 so feet.
1: Two 30 second bonuses. Everyone gets one, and then the other one is the two balls over 440 mm-hmm.
3: feet. I'm thinking, why not just make it three minutes and 30 seconds? I guess to, to put more uh, emphasis on how far they're whacking that thing. Boy, that's
1: a nice start here on this Tuesday morning to you. <laughs> I thought uh, I worded I, that pretty well. To make hey. this clear, I'm Kevin Bowen. Uh, that was Mark Dykedon, Jake Quarry is across the way. It feels pretty nice walking out to the car on this Tuesday. And like I said, a whole lot to get to. The Pacers' second summer league game wrapped up uh, pretty close to kind of the home run derby last night. When Jim Merce talks, there's usually news items to chat about. And Jim Mercey made an appearance on Pat McAfee's show yesterday, and there are certainly some clips to play from that. And then yesterday, I think we kind of waited till the final hour of the show And then about 12 hours later, uh, we've got news that Pat Fitzgerald last night uh, fired by Northwestern. And uh, I have a feeling we're going to get some legal action with this.
2: I have lots of thoughts on that. And I I want to make emphatically clear that in no way, shape or form are they to exonerate if if what I would assume those reports are true of what went on at Northwestern Football. But, as I assume we're probably going to talk about it a little bit more later in the show, I have a question that I asked myself last night that you're probably going to be like, okay, you're either going to say to yourself, boy, I hadn't thought of that, or you're going to say, this guy's out of his mind. Well, let's go there. That I'm out of my mind? Well, well, I throw, throw out the thought. Northwestern University is a private university, correct? I believe that is correct. And you'll hear me repeat this question probably in 30 minutes or so. But Northwestern's a private university, which means that the standards by which they can handle their employment and things like that are different than a public university for the most part. They can do whatever they want. They don't have taxpayer money, you know, et cetera. But Northwestern, which is one of the elite schools in America... I mean, Northwestern is probably one of the top. I would guess, if you were to look up Northwestern in the U.S. News and World Report academic rankings, I would guess it's 23rd in America. I have no idea. That's a total guess. But Northwestern is most noted in terms of their fine academics. What program or college of the university at Northwestern is it most known for or most touted? What degree that people study at Northwestern is perhaps the most noted of Northwestern University?
1: Well, I I would say in our little bubble, it would be media, but I I would venture to guess business would be pretty high up I think
2: their media journalism school is amongst the most elite in America. And that's what... When you go to the Northwestern School of Journalism, it's like, whoa, okay. I mean, that's legit, right? The Pat Fitzgerald story was blown open, investigated, interviewed by the Northwestern University student newspaper. Not the Chicago Sun-Times, not the Chicago Tribune, not the Athletic, not USA Today. The exact institution that Northwestern University probably one of the few that it prioritizes above and beyond its athletic department was the president of Northwestern University, if he would have come out let this investigation take place and still maintain pat fitzgerald as the head football coach would that be dismissing the credibility of the very program that his university is most known to tout that's not to say that that pat, that the allegations were false but i wonder if the level and the depth in other words i truly believe based on the dismissal that they must there must have been fire to the smoke But what I'm saying is, did they more actively put on the asbestos suit to walk into the fire and look at it because of the source of who was coming out with all of this, as opposed to others that Northwestern would have handled with a more delicate nature of favoring benefit of the doubt? Did benefit of the doubt, did did they investigate it more, did they investigate it further because To dismiss it would be to dismiss the one program at Northwestern University that is more known for the university than their athletics.
1: Yeah, I still think Pat Fitzgerald reigns at a higher level than their student newspaper's reputation or their...
2: I don't know, Kevin. Yeah, I think Kellogg I, Business School. I, I think Northwestern University, the difference between Northwestern and a lot of institutions is Northwestern is one that would favor their academics over their athletics.
1: Yeah, I think if you're good in football, it's going to do better for your university than if you're good in newspaper from a financial sense, from an um,
2: impact on your university. But, but I think Northwestern is one of the few schools that from a business model standpoint, looks at i'm not talking about revenue i i get what you're saying but i think northwestern first and foremost thinks of itself i think there are certain universities i'm not going to say any names i think there are certain universities that at this point think of themselves as an athletic institution first and academic second northwestern is one of them. academics is going to trump the the athletics at all times
3: the well qu- look at look at Pat fitzgerald's record winning record what other coach would be still having an employment job at that university you know if he wasn't an alum if they didn't put like the record of graduating student athletes to the degree that he did, no guy would stick around that that long yeah I, I there's guess no culture in winning at Northwestern question that I have in
1: regards to Pat Fitzgerald and his statement last night you know when he releases a statement and says I had no knowledge whatsoever of any hazing within our football program. So I'm paying you nearly six million dollars a year. You're four and whatever they are four and twenty something over the last two years. They've won two Big Ten games over the last two years. So clearly, uh, your focus on the field is not working out, and clearly your focus off the field well, is the not thing, working right? out. It's, it's when lack of had,
2: institutional control.
1: Correct? Yeah, I mean you've had numerous now it, you've had numerous players come out and acknowledge that some form of this hazing was occurring. You've had staff members confirm it. Like it just. If I'm paying you six million dollars a year and you're not winning, I sure as hell hope you're keeping an eye on what is going on around the football program there. So, after 17 seasons, Pat Fitzgerald is gone at Northwestern.
2: Are he a Bob Huggins going to like form some sort of a fraternity together? I would assume Pat Fitzgerald is coaching the SEC in the next 18 months. I'll bet he's coaching in the NFL. Oh, you, a head coach. No, but he'll get like that. That's supposedly why he got a lot of money out of Northwestern is because there was flirtation in some regard. My assumption would be a defensive coach of some sort at the NFL level. That's why he had the perfect job and he blew it because he could always say, Oh, the Bears
3: are interested in me. The big football team in, in town. Yeah, it does seem stay. like
1: each year we get the, you know, Schefter in January. Mm-hmm. Uh, to keep an eye on Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern.
3: Yep.
2: You know, we had him on the show, what, three months ago? Yeah, right after the draft. And I thought, I mean, you can't tell anything over a phone radio interview, but I thought he was a super nice guy. Seemed like a a good dude. Well, he says he didn't know about the hazing. Yeah, okay.
1: The other question that I had to laugh at... The biggest question
2: I had was it seemed like those that were doing the hazing, that would be the more, I mean, like the the incidents that I read about, I'm like, gosh, it'd be worse to be the hazer. Well, that
1: too. And then, you know, Pat Fitzgerald got a two-week suspension in mid-july doesn't that sound like the greatest thing in the world if you're a college football coach oh wait i get gonna stay at my lake house for two more weeks yeah no kidding yeah that, that didn't seem like a, a punishment in my eyes at all so that occurred late last night uh was your viewing more home run derby was it more
2: Pacers summer league was it none of the above you know i actually flipped back and forth between the two for the majority of time yeah i probably 60 40 home run derby did watch some of the summer league um Again, I go back to what I've said a couple of times now. I'm just amazed at how big this thing's gotten, which is cool. I mean, it's it. I like it because it gives us something to watch and talk about here in July, right? And that's what – I mean, the NBA's smart in the way that they've done this because they put themselves into the conversation here year-round, which is what you want. Uh, Andrew Nembhard continues to look like a guy that you think to yourself like – Gosh, he probably is too good to be playing in the summer league. Is even though I guess theoretically no one's too good. Uh, Jarris Walker yesterday, I thought a little bit more effective offensively, and just continues to kind of do a you know has a high energy about him. The. They look good. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. I don't know what else to say. They they look good, but then again, they've got three guys out on the floor that are probably going to get significant minutes this year in the NBA, and they're going up against a lot of guys that are going to be playing in Belgium.
1: Yeah, I think through two games, um, to me, Jairus Walker is easily the most in- encouraging-looking pacer, if that's the right way. Or
2: Nimhard, to, but you knew Nembhard was good, it. right? Yeah,
1: I guess you, you you hold these guys to different standards. But in Game 1, obviously, Walker did a little bit of everything. Again, I thought the Doris Burke quote late, late in that contest of he he's easy to play with is the exact description that fits for Walker. And then last night, I thought you saw a little bit more of offensive skill. Like I think there was a question about him entering the draft of like, will he be a liability on offense? And I don't think a ton of people thought that, but I think that was a question of like, how much is he going to give you on that end of the floor. I think he's going to be able to give you a decent amount. Like I've made the comparison several times to Thaddeus Young. I think he's going to be that, and potentially maybe even a little bit more. I mean, there are times where you can run offense through him. He threw a great lob to Isaiah Jackson. He led the fast break. Certainly the jump shot fell a little bit more last night for him as well. Um I, I'm very encouraged by what Jairus Walker has shown. I also thought, and obviously the stats totally back this up, but if you watch the game, much better from Ben Shepard, the other first-round pick. He had 16 points, 4 of 7 from 3. He also had 9 rebounds, so that is a really big number from your you know, starting 2 guard. Uh, no turnovers for him in 30 minutes, so a, a very good night for Ben Shepard. Uh, it does sound like, I think it was Nemhard and Isaiah Jackson both were... Made available to the media after the game, both said that their time in Vegas is likely done. I would guess Benedict Matherin falls into that category. You watch Matherin in Summer League, and oh, God, I mean, there are some frantic moments with him. Like scoring, again, I, I, I don't think there's any question about him scoring at an NBA level. I am going to be very interested this year, Jake, to watch Benedict Matherin find that balance between score and playmaker. Because it's not natural to him. The latter. I mean, when you watch him, like, pass the basketball, it it feels forced. You know, when you watch Nemhard pass it, it's like, oh yeah, that looks natural. When you watch Matherin do it, it's like, did the coach just tell him to do that? Right. And I think watching Matherin Go through that process because he can be very gifted in that area. In the sense of last night, he had six assists. And if you watch the game, you'd be like, dude, he forced it way too much offensively. And he still had six assists. So, you know, his maturation and his development with his own game and how he handles that aspect to it, I think will be
2: really, really interesting to see play out. Do you know the hardest thing for me about watching the Pacers Summer League game last night? Uh, Was it Isaiah Thomas? Yes holy hell i i i listen he was a wonderful player at indiana he was a great NBA player isaiah thomas was I'll, i'll reserve most of my comment but he's just difficult to listen to jake that was horrible
1: I mean, I and I don't, I'm not one that like sits there and is like, okay, I'm going to pull out my media report card and evaluate everybody game in and game out on how great they were. Like I'm sitting there thinking, oh, Isaiah Thomas on the call tonight. This would be a nice listen. I, I always enjoy Lisa, Lisa Byington. She does a really nice job when they have her on the NCAA tournament games. And at times I was like, oh my gosh, I feel for her.
2: Yeah. I mean, there were times that w- w- what's going on here? Yeah, right? that was, that was awkward. He's just an awkward guy easiest way that, I'll just leave it at that some
1: he's of the topics guy. were like 945 show topics on July 11th for us
2: well or 745 depending on you know
1: what I well, mean sure sure <laughs> right exactly on that uh, Greg Doyle speaking of you know times you could get a little bit off topic uh, he's gonna join us at eight o'clock I know everyone always enjoys when Greg hops on so we'll chat with him coming up at eight and nine o'clock Alex golden to recap. Game two from the Pacers' Summer League. I think something to also throw Alex Golden's way is that rumor kind of late afternoon yesterday from Mark Stein, who's a pretty established NBA NBA reporter on Pascal Siakam and some interest for the Pacers. What would it take to get him? With the Toronto Star. Uh, That is a a very good question. Um, Yeah, I think just purely cap space-wise, you'd have to. Give up about twenty-five to thirty million. So, what would that look like? Is that Buddy Heald and Andrew Nemhard and a couple first-round picks? Um, I am not a fan of pursuing Pascal Siakam. I don't disagree with you. Age, considering again, he's in a contract year coming up, so you'd have to pay him a whole lot. I just, I don't know, Jake. Feel free to tell me it's a loser mindset, but I'm kind of content with the Pacers right now. I totally agree with that. I don't think you need to rush to push all the chips into the middle of the table. Let this grow. See what you've got. And then, you know, a year, or two years, whenever you feel like there's a little bit more urgency, then you can make that, that sort of move. I don't think I'm rushing for it for a soon-to-be 30-year-old, soon-to-be contract year guy, and a guy that I think just he has to have the ball to be really, really effective when... I think he wants some other guys with the ball and Tyrese Halliburton
2: and Benzek. Mather. Especially when you consider, Kevin, to your point, the Pacers are not going to be making a serious push to the finals this season, right? So you see where you stand. You find out whether or not you, you have your areas defensively taken care of. And then, at the end of the season... If you realize that Siakam is still a guy that can help you, you go out and you pursue him in free agency. Why give up some of your assets to get a guy that could then walk from you in 10 months anyway? I, I, that makes no sense. I, I know that he's a wonderful player, and I know that he... Although I kind of feel like... And I don't know. I Maybe part of this is just because Toronto itself dipped a little bit. Does Siakam feel like Waterfout has found its level a little bit there or is that me?
1: Oh, no, I I mean, I I think he's still a very talented player. No doubt about that. And particularly
2: defensively, right?
1: Well, I'd argue particularly offensively with him. You know, to me, Ananobi, I think, is the guy that falls more into the defensive category. Uh, think Siakam has been, you know, a a high-level scorer really ever since their run to the finals. But, you know, if I'm going to make that sort of trade... You know, a guy more on the timeline of Ananobi, a guy that brings more of a defensive presence, that would be the move that I would make. And again, even then, I I still sit here and have some reservations about it. So, I almost feel like the Pacers are in this situation where they've got cap space, they've got a couple first-round picks, they've got, you know, some young guys that clearly other teams covet, and they're just the popular team that people throw into these reports. And who knows, maybe it's Kevin Pritchard doing a ton of the calling because it seems like Kevin you know wants to be vocal of like hey i'm trying to make moves and all of that but I, I just i'm not sitting here saying the pacers
2: need to be pushing those chips in i mean you're right 24 a game last year for siakam he's 29 years old but again i if his deal is up yeah, you would you'd have to have assurance he would resign with you yeah there's no way you do that can you imagine if they gave up an at you know what if matherin was a piece you had to give up would you do it no no.
1: And I try to say that without my affinity. How about Nimhard? A Nimhard buddy healed, you toss in a first round pick or two, I would have some reluctance with that.
2: I don't disagree with that. I, I
1: mean just, I, just based on age, right? Don't you want to see like a Halliburton Matherin toss in the other pieces? Totally. Don't you want to see that like play out for a year? Yes. I mean, we've yet to see Halliburton and Mathern really in the starting lineup. Do you remember...
2: There have been... Larry Bird is a great basketball mind, obviously. Mm. I, who am I, right? However...
1: Well, certainly knows more than Isaiah Thomas after there were, last night.
2: Jesus, <laughs> God. I, I could tell you some stories about Isaiah. Um, however, there are two times where I think Larry Bird three three times where Larry Bird misread the temperate of his locker room one was as we've talked about the infamous Paul George Paul don't make the decisions around here well he kind of turned out he did right but the other is when they they signed Andrew Bynum that completely wrecked Roy Hibbert it's not really Larry Bird's fault there it was worth kicking the tires on it The other was when they traded Danny Granger. And I can't remember who they traded Granger for, but they brought in Evan Turner at one point. And both of those things, I think they underestimated what Danny Granger meant to his teammates. And I think the same is true of Buddy Heald. I I, I was really struck by Bruce Brown Jr. When, matter of fact, do we have that audio, Mark, when I asked Bruce Brown Jr. about Buddy Heald? Because... uh, all of a sudden, everybody's talking about Buddy Heald, Buddy Heald. And I'm like, this is a guy that when they acquired him, it was thought that Buddy Heald was basically a rental or a guy that was going to be flipped in the infancy when he came here. I don't mean now. But Bruce Brown Jr., you know, was in Denver a year ago, and yet he talked several times about Buddy Heald. And finally, I had to ask him, I'm like, you've mentioned Buddy Heald several times now. Like, this seems to be a guy that's respected, not just in this locker room, but league wide. And here's the newest pacer on that. There was a lot of thought when he came here that he would be that he was a rental, but clearly he seems to be pretty respected around the league. Buddy is obviously a great player, um, can shoot the heck out of the ball. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, everybody knows Buddy else because he's a great player and they knows what he, what he brings to a team, um, a contending team. Um, so I can't wait to get out there with him. I, I mean. Everybody was talking about him. I think he's almost a glue piece for that locker room. I really do. And, and I have no idea if his name is one of those that's floated, Kevin, but I think that he is one that you have to look at what he means to the other players on The roster before you think about moving him.
1: Yeah, and and let's just throw it out. I mean, if you start a a lineup around Tyrese Halliburton where it's you know Siakam and it's Matherin and it's I don't know Nemhard if he were still to be here. I mean now you're starting to get some pretty questionable shooting around Tyrese Halliburton, and I get you have the fine balance between the shooting and the defensive end of the floor, but I I just I don't know. When I saw the Siakam name and I saw the Pacers, I said, eh, thanks. But no thanks. I think it's a great problem for the Pacers to be in right now. And I say problem in quotes of, you know, you can let this thing play out a little bit. And you still have got, you know, chips to play with here moving forward. But I don't think you need to rush it in a move like that. Um, we'll certainly get to those Jim Merce comments from yesterday. Again, on with Pat McAfee, I would say a couple of that stood out. One in regards to Anthony Richardson and his playing time early. And then very late in the interview, and, I, and I'll and i try to provide some context around it because I do think it's important to do that. Uh, Jim Ursay he offered a little bit of an injury update to Jonathan Taylor and Shaquille Leonard. And I think, well, certainly the Shaquille Leonard one had Pat McAfee kind of, oh, wow, interesting, uh, was Pat's reaction when Ursay said that. So we will definitely hit on that. I don't know if you guys have the same feeling watching the Home Run Derby. Each year, but two things stand out. One, I'm thinking, how has a kid not been hit with a line drive in the outfield yet? That's my first thought when I watch the Home Run Derby each and every year. And then two is, can we get a trophy for the pitcher? The pitcher
2: matters more than I would argue, maybe even. You're right. The hitter at times. How many? And I know they probably explained this, but I didn't have necessarily the volume up full throttle there. How many? Pa- how many pitches are you allowed to pass on, or are you?
1: Well, now it's timed, so it's oh, I guess you're right. three yeah. minutes. A three-minute round, you get a timeout, and then as I was saying earlier, everybody gets a thirty-second bonus. So you pretty much are up there for three minutes and thirty seconds, and then if you hit two homers of at least four hundred and forty feet, which was not easy
2: last night, I, I think it's an amazing feat. I just think seconds. once the guys kind of slow down, it just is kind of like okay, I, it's remarkable, and clearly there is a level of. I mean, can you imagine taking that many swings? And Rosa Reina was adopting the quantity
1: over quality. I mean, he had 30 seconds to hit four home runs. And I think it's certainly Reese David, or was it Reese David? No, Carl Ravitch. Carl Ravitch and Eduardo Perez were kind of like, oh, yeah, this is over. And yet he goes out there for that final bonus. And he, I mean, he is sla- I mean, he is trying to get 20 million swings in in 30 seconds. And I think he hit like two. And Guerrero right. Jr. wins it.
2: If you got out there. With, somebody, with, with those guys pitching to you at that speed, how many do you even get to the warning track?
1: Oh, God, I mean... Any? No. no. My baseball swing is now a golf swing.
2: Yeah. Were you a good baseball player?
1: Mediocre. I'd
2: like to think I was. What I'd like po- to think I was a good catcher. What position were you? Catcher. I think that's the hardest position in baseball to play, right? I, I loved it, and I loved baseball.
1: Uh, what What level? What's the... Or but I quit you in you know golf. All of a sudden, became more prominent
2: for me in seventh grade, and that's when I quit baseball. Because I think that have you ever tried to catch like a like a high speed pitcher? Like I mean, not no, not I mean nonsense. You know. when I was when I was in St. Louis, there was a kid that got drafted into the majors as a pitcher, and so I did a story where I put on the full catching gear, and I'm like, I'll try to catch a pitch from him, and he threw like a 92, I think. Holy cow! It was unbelievable. I mean, it was like Tucker Barnhart, guys like that. I don't know how they do it. Yeah, it's so natural. And I mean, it's like whole. I mean, my eyes naturally closed. I blinked every time the ball was coming in because that's your natural instinct, right? I mean, like the just the pop of it alone, and the literally, I had like almost a bruise in my palm. I mean, it was brutal. I do think something the
1: Home Run Derby can do each year, you know, with the eight contestants. I think it's important to have a home representative among one of the 8.
2: Oh, like the atmosphere for, sure. for
1: Julio Julio Rodriguez yeah, was awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome last. The night.
2: best one of the best things about last night was the aerials of of Seattle. Have you been S- to Seattle? Such great. Yeah. Oh, such I great mean, aerials. The, the the this time of year it is it is literally the most beautiful city in the country. San Francisco's up there, I know spare me the the thing about like the city i'm talking about the geography of the area san francisco seattle
1: so we play for nothing tonight right in the all-star game we we don't do home field for the world series anymore
2: i believe that's correct i do
1: love the all-star game though all-star game tonight our coverage will begin here at seven o'clock on these airwaves again greg doyle gonna join us at eight certainly need to play some of the clips from jim Irse yesterday Uh, Some comments from him that a bit eyebrow raising and we are two weeks out. Two weeks from today, the Colts will report to training camp at Grand Park. We plan to be up there for report day. Their first practice coming up Wednesday, July 26th. Good Tuesday morning to you. I'm Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, Mark Dykton. You're listening to Kevin and Query right here on 93.5, 107.5 The fan.
2: It's the answer to one of those trivia questions, Kevin, that you hear every year. Like, how many days per year are there no professional sports on the American calendar? And it used to be like Christmas Day was one of them. Obviously, that's out the window now. I, Mark, do you know outside of today and then third, or I'm sorry, today and yeah, Thursday? The no, All Star game's tonight, right? All Star game so I'm, sorry, game's yet, tonight, I'm yeah. sorry. Outside of yesterday and and tomorrow, what other days are there? Well, Thursday, well, right? right? The Home Run Derby, and you had Summer League. Yeah, do or you not, count not, not, Home
1: Run Derby? Do you, you count, count the All Star game? No, I mean like uh, of games being played. So this week you have the entire week, right? Until Friday? MLB doesn't get back going until Friday?
2: Right. Is it Friday that they're back? I believe. It used to be the day before and the day after the All-Star game were the days.
1: Home run derby last night. Vlad Guerrero Jr. is your winner. Beats Randy Rosarena in the final. Great fireworks early on. You know one of the stories that I loved early was when... uh, Adley Rutschman from the Orioles did the switch hitting did you guys see that mm-hmm. left handed cool. through the first three minutes and then his dad's throwing to him switches over to the right side it's a couple bombs uh, pretty impressive but again a lot of those guys that were stars early in the home derby last night kind of flamed out so Vlad Guerrero Jr. 17 years after his dad wins it uh, he takes home the title, and tonight, the All-Star Game, 7 o'clock, our coverage begins.
2: Okay, easiest way to say it. In the United States, every year, there are only two days in the entire calendar when none of the Big Four sports are being played, the day before and the day after the Major League Baseball All-Star Game. But as you were to saying, this year, the Major League Baseball game, it is two days after before they resume, right?
1: I believe Friday is when we get things back underway
2: for so there you go. Major League Baseball. Uh, NBA Summer League last night. Pacers, big winners, and Jerris Walker getting a little bit more offensively involved. Benedict Matherin and Andrew Nimhardt. I guess the question becomes now, with both those guys scoring the ball well, especially Andrew Nimhardt, uh, is that it for them in Summer League?
1: sounded like Isaiah Jackson and Andrew Nemhard both met the media afterwards and you know makes sense two games time to get maybe some of the other guys a little bit more run but again Jairus Walker much better offensively last night I think Pacers fans should be extremely encouraged by him Matherin struggled from the floor 17 points did have 6 assists Andrew Nemhard in full control 21 points and 7 assists and probably the brightest spot from last night individually especially after his game one was Ben Shepard the rookie out of Belmont. 16 points, 4-7 from three. Nine rebounds and zero turnovers in 30 minutes. You watch Ben Shepard. That dude is always moving. Energizer bunny there uh, for the Pacers. Uh, they have two games left scheduled in the summer league. It'll be the Th- Thunder at 7-30 tomorrow. They'll have a game on Friday and then one more coming up this week.
2: Uh, by the way, Kevin, since you mentioned it, there was a kid that was beamed last night in the outfield of the Home Run Derby. Bad? Got hit by a liner. Uh, looked like he might have taken one to the temper. I'm
1: shocked that literally doesn't happen like every other at-bat.
2: I mean, there's like 30 kids, kids out there. Kids have no and, idea what's going on. There's like two skilled outfielders out there. They're, they're, they're like pushing each other out of the way to fight for an errant ball, <laughs> right?
1: We uh, mentioned this yesterday close out our check down here. How about um, Chris Eubanks, the American, into the final eight at Wimbledon?
2: Let's go, right? Uh, that happened ye- late in the afternoon, didn't
1: it? Yeah, five-setter win. So he has now beat the top Brit in Wimbledon. Yesterday, beats the five overall oh, seed.
2: I, I, I can't believe it.
1: Daniil Medvedev <laughs> is his opponent awaiting the number three overall seed here. Okay. In the quarterfinal.
2: I, I got to get some tea. I came back. And at, again, a, if you look at the last want, decade, look, him in the set.
1: American males uh, yeah. making the final eight of Wimbledon don't happen very often. So that'll be tomorrow. Chris Eubanks, Journeyman. This is extremely rare. Someone pulled out a great podcast of him, I think somewhat recently. He's 27 years old. And in tennis, that's kind of on the old side. And they're
2: like, oh, there's, oh, there's yes,
1: they're like, what do you want to accomplish in your career? He's like, at this point, I would just love to make a second weekend run at Wimbledon or the U.S. Open. Well, here he is, the second week of Wimbledon, and he is one of the final eight standing, and again, for American tennis, extremely
2: rare. So shout out to Chris Eubanks, the Georgia Tech product. Would love to the see flag. that get you know I would love to see somebody get the United States kind of more involved in the men's professional tennis side of things and just generate and create that level of interest we talked about Pat Fitzgerald we will do so later in the show but when it comes to the gridiron yesterday interesting comments from the owner of the Indianapolis Colts including perhaps tea leaves about one of the Colts star players We'll explain next. It's Kevin and Query. Good morning to you on a beautiful-looking Tuesday here, 93.5175 The Fan.
4: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclib 200mg at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
2: 14 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock. Good morning to you on what looks to be a very promising and gorgeous All-Star Game Tuesday here. Jake Query along with Kevin Bowen, Mark Dyken here as well. It's Kevin and Query. Uh, it took literally uh, six days of planning to come up with the name of that show. 93.5, 5, 107.5, The Fan. Kevin, when Jim Merce speaks, uh, you got to listen. Sometimes you never know where the subject's going to go, but if you can wade through whale talk and band talk and I actually love the thing that he is doing to free a whale that's been in captivity forever but he, he talked plenty about that But I
1: thought they might draft Lolita number four overall yeah, back I mean, in April there for a moment He uh, a lot of Mars talk yesterday as well with Pat McAfee
2: he's done a, done a lot of work on probably both those things but um, but there were still some some nuggets of things when Jim Mercer talks you gotta listen and he had a couple of interesting comments that kind of maybe, if you weren't listening closely, just flew past. And then you go, whoa, wait a minute. Say that again.
1: Yeah, yesterday I saw that McAfee was going to have him on. I'm like, all right, you, Kevin, you need to commit about a half hour to that conversation. And as you said, Jake, 98% of it maybe doesn't have a, a much relevancy at all to the Colts in their 2023 season. But some of it definitely did. Um, Mark let's start with the injury audio and again to provide a little context around how this came up as McAfee is trying to end the interview Ursay uh, just you know ends it with his typical kind of summer comment of "Yeah, I couldn't be more excited about the team and then he gets into health updates without McAfee asking him on Jonathan Taylor and Shaquille Leonard so the clip isn't overly long but But let's play that uh, on Jonathan Taylor and Shaquille Leonard.
0: We are really excited about the year and Anthony and and Jonathan Taylor's healed up. And, you know, I I think uh, Shaq Leonard, he's working hard. We'll see. You know, he has a chance. He's working really hard. He's getting a little better each day. So um, we love Shane Steichen, love the whole energy that we have going.
1: So just to, I think, go over the injury situations, Taylor had ankle surgery earlier this offseason. We did not see him at all in the spring. It's the first time Taylor has missed any substantial amount of time in his NFL or college or high school career. But it sounds like he's healed up and will be good to go for camp. The question I have with Shaquille Leonard is this, Jake. Obviously, when... He prefaces by saying Jonathan is healed up and he doesn't say the same thing for Shaquille Leonard. That's not good news. That, that, that doesn't mean that Shaquille Leonard is necessarily at the same, 100% available, ready to go whenever camp opens up, boom. Um, when he says the phrase, he's got a chance, and, and again, McAfee, literally, this was the end of the show. You know, For any Ursa interview, time restraints can be a bit difficult. Um, so when he says he has a chance, my first question is, Is he saying he has a chance to be ready for the start of camp? Or for the start of the season?
2: I I think he's saying the season.
1: Because that's not good. The start of camp, I I would guess he was saying the start of camp there.
2: Either way. That's pretty optimistic, I think. Here's the thing. When did Shaquille Leonard first, with this particular injury, when did we first hear about it? When was it first on the radar? Well, the
1: first back surgery occurred last June. Then he had another one
2: in November. And that was to initially the back surgery was to he had what they thought was an ankle injury, correct? And then they. Yeah, pain throughout that lower leg. Correct. Um, my point is simply this. We are nearly a year into it and we are having to determine the timeline on discussion of having a chance.
1: Yeah, I know. I, that's and I almost don't think you can even like picture him into your 2023 outlook I, I at totally the level agree. that you're used to. And,
2: and, and, Kevin, here's the thing. Shaquille Leonard is a wonderful football player. He is an inspirational leader for his teammates. He makes plays that very few people make. He has an incredible instinct to the football there are a lot of things there there are very few things about him to if any to dislike however all of those things that separate him as a football player are things that are that are predicated upon his range of motion and and in his ability that 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 little half a percentage of speed and instinct that separates him from just any other guy
1: yeah, he's got to be that peak correct. Lateral movement. And last athlete. year
2: you could make the argument that when he was on the field that he was a liability. Oh, without question. And and so at no fault of his it's it doesn't it's not a fault of his. It's a reality. If he is not back to the 100% that he was when he entered the league and before the injury, you got a he becomes then another linebacker.
1: Yeah, I'm to the point, Jake, where I've got to see him on the practice field for multiple weeks before I even get to the, oh, wow, man, he looks like the maniac. He, he could be back to that all-pro self. Right. Like, I, I just kind of chalked it up to EJ Speed is probably a guy that's going to play a whole lot next to Zaire Franklin this season. Um, and and it, it's a shame that it's come to this. Part of it is the position that Leonard plays, and part of it is certainly his injury situation. But to me, a Jonathan Taylor injury update, or if you would have updated Michael Pittman, Michael Pittman missed the entire spring with a hip injury. Those updates, to me, they mean 10 times more than the Leonard update. At this point, Leonard, to me, is almost a bonus. And that's just the reality of where I, I think you've he's gotta, at.
2: I think you psychologically have to go into camp assuming that you are not going to have him.
1: It, it's, it's a bad contract. It's how it looks right now, given his injury status. He could certainly... You know, prove me wrong and, you know, clip this out and, you know, he could become an all pro again. But, and I'd say this for any player it's no knock on Shaquille Leonard. But if you have two back surgeries in a four month span, I'm going to be highly skeptical. When it's nerve issues we're talking about, I'm going to be highly skeptical of it, especially when he's a player that's game is so predicated on dominant athletic traits, you know, the quick twitch, the movement, all of those things. And right now, given the makeup of your roster and how important things are for Anthony Richardson, which Ursae did have an Anthony Richardson comment, we'll play here in a bit. Uh, the Michael Pittman, the Jonathan Taylor news, that means a little bit more to
2: me than Shaquille Leonard. The the, the Taylor news is obviously very good news, right? Sure. The, yeah. the, and Taylor's running for a contract to an extent, right? I mean... He's he's going to be running to try to see how much he can get out of the Colts or elsewhere. Uh, you know, we've had that long discussion, right, on whether or not it's worth investing into a lot of money to a running back in 2023. But that's a decision the Colts are going to have to make. But um, you certainly want to get what you can out of him this season, and especially with a young quarterback. Let's
1: play that Leonard bit again. Again, this was Urse at the end of the interview with McAfee yesterday. Simply just, hey, here's an overview of the 2023 Colts, mentions Taylor, and then has this to say on Shaquille Leonard.
0: Shaq Leonard, he's working hard. We'll see. You know, he has a chance. He's working really hard. He's getting a little better each day. So, um, we love Shaq.
2: I mean, we'll see.
1: So, you guys think on the he's chance. He's getting better
2: each day. I mean, it's been, and I'm not, again, I'm not trying to poo any of it, but it's been, what? Getting better each day. Well, there have been 350 of them now, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, that's that response makes me think that's more season outlook than training camp outlook. Again, two weeks from today is report day for the Colts. You listen
1: to that statement, you think, wow, him opening up camp on the physically unable to perform list for his second straight year seems like something that is definitely on the table. We will hear from Chris Ballard two weeks from today. The Colts will then have their first practice at Grand Park coming up on Wednesday. And if, slash when, Leonard misses some time, you look at that linebacker depth chart, Zaire Franklin and EJ Speed are just monumental, important pieces for your football team. Because remember, Bobby Okereke is now with the New York Giants. So you don't have as much insurance at that linebacker position as you have had in years past. Uh, We'll play that Anthony Richardson clip a little bit later on Richardson and the Gardner Minshew playing time debate. Ursay had some comments on that front. So we'll definitely hit that coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. On the other side, it's Greg Doyle, Indy Star columnist. He joins
4: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new and everything in between. What's next?
1: All right, 8 o'clock hour. Greg Dollar from the Indianapolis Star is with us here on the Pay Less Liquors Hotline. A little summer combo with Greg as we are two weeks out from the Colts reporting to training camp. Greg, good morning to you. How's the summer been? summer's
5: been very relaxing. Uh this has been the best summer. I'm having the best I'm having the best several months of my life here in Indy. Um it's not a coincidence. I've got my dog Cap. So uh I, I yeah, things are going very very well. Thanks for asking.
2: And I Greg, I'm going off memory here, so my apologies. Is your dog a greyhound? He he
5: is. I, I mean te- technically he's called it's not a brand of dog, it's not a species. It's more of a a moniker. I don't know. It's called a lurcher. A lurcher is almost all greyhound. And I'm only trying to say this because I don't want to be all highfalutin. Yeah, I've got a greyhound. Well, he's he seven-eighths greyhound and one hunting hunting dog, coonhound. And so he's a retired hunter. So they're bred for speed, you know, but they've got that hunting gene in him too. And so I don't know what he's seen. I don't know how he's lived. I don't know. But he must have lost a step because they retired him about at age six. And he's the sweetest dog I've ever seen. I've seen a lot of them.
2: Yeah, I had a buddy that had a retired, you know, he had rescued a greyhound that was a retired racing dog. Um and occasionally the dog would want to go out in the backyard and just like run circles but for the most part was just completely chill just wanted to basically hang out and have a cold beer and watch sports with him It was greatest dog ever right
5: it's called the zoomies yeah
2: greyhounds get the zoomies yeah that that, that people think i can't get a
5: greyhound. they're too active no they're not they, he sleeps the dog sleeps all day long he and he sleeps the best part is he sleeps next to me and i'm always tweeting out but more more so instagramming pictures of him and I'll be on the TV, watch on the chair watching ESPN or something. And he's on the on the couch next to me with his head on the armrest. His snout is like three inches from my ears. He stares at me as I watch TV. It's just, it just goes to show that dogs—they don't care how ugly you are, they don't care how tall you are, they don't care how talented you—they are. They don't care about anything. They just—if you take care of them, they will love you. So the
2: world needs more dogs. If he is watching a Colts game with you this year, how long is it before, for the first time, Cap sees Shaquille Leonard on the field?
5: I don't. Okay, so I, I do this thing with with cap, and it's ridiculous. Okay, it's the over under, and uh, you know I'm I'm the king of TMI. So here we go. The over under on when we take a walk at Holiday Park every day, the over under is two and one. You're going to pee twice and poop once. That's the over under. Huh. That's the number. It's a good ratio. Go more. Yeah, yeah. Are you going to go more or less? That that's if I had to guess, he's going to hit actually actually the over under three one because he's going to do two one for sure. So are you going to go over three one or anyway? Um, so the over-under on, on Shaq, if I if I had to bet, if I had to set the over-under, set the over-under, I would set it on, is he going to play again? Um, ever. That's the over-under I'm setting it on. And I'm not saying this with any inside knowledge, but then again, nobody has inside knowledge, including back when Andrew Luck was doing his thing. No one had, no one knew. There was no inside knowledge until Adam Schefter broke the news that he was done. So don't listen to anybody who says they know anything about Shaq. Nobody knows. And sadly, I think the Colts don't know either. So I'm putting the over-under on, is he going to ever play again? And maybe because I'm a pessimist, maybe because I I like to be surprised in a good way. I don't like to think, oh, this is going to happen, and then, oh, crap, I was wrong. I like to think, yeah, probably not going to happen. And then I'm surprised, yeah, it happened. I'm putting the over under, and he never plays again.
1: So based off that, Greg, I assume you believe Anthony Richardson will play more than Shaquille Leonard here in 2023. I guess, how much more? How early are they giving the keys to Richardson?
5: Boy, I... I hope this is an answer of hope because you know I haven't. We've seen him, and I know Kevin. You're out there more than I have. We, we've seen him out there throwing his dare, and he looks fine, and all this. But so I don't know. He could just be overmatched in, in in training camp, and this would be the dumbest thing I've ever said. And I just said Shaquille Leonard. I'm putting you over under it, never playing again. Uh, but but I think I think I think he's going to play. It's not 17 games. He's going to play 15 or 16. I think because the Colts are
1: not going to And start 15 it. games, or you think like, yeah, uh, hey, they're going to have him in sub packages and things like that.
5: Oh no, no no start start okay. no start. I, if we're going to talk about sub packages, then maybe all seventeen. But no, I th- I think he's going to start. He might not start at the opener, but he might. But I think they're going to go with him. You know, the, the oddsmakers—they're not—they don't know either. But they're—they know more than we do. They certainly have good reasons for doing the things they do. And I was looking at the, just yesterday the, the odds on at least this, this guy Jimmy Shapiro, I think his name, some guy in Vegas, real whatever. I don't know who he works for, but he's a he's a corporate odds maker. Three uh, – he, he ranks the teams, one through 32. Who's going to get – who's going to be the last team to win a game in the NFL? And three of, those, of the last five teams were in the AFC South, and the Colts were one of those three. three. So someone's got to win because they're going to play each other, but the whole comp, the whole division sucks. And I think because the division stinks, and I think really because the Colts stink, he's going to play a lot because they got to get him right. Because next year – got to be shooting for next year. You know, Colts fans don't want to hear, I don't want to think about 2024 – yeah, well, neither do I, but I want a pony. I'm not getting that. So let's just – can we be realistic with what we have to work with?
2: I also think, Greg, if you listen to Jim Ursay, you know, Ursay will say, like, listen, we didn't win a lot of games in Peyton Manning's rookie year, and that turned out okay. It's almost like he knows – like he's he's tempering the fan base of, we might not win a lot of games this year, but we are – we have a rookie quarterback, and, da, da, da. like, Ursay seems – to be forecasting already that it is in their better interest to just hand the keys and let him learn on the job than to sit and watch Gardner Minshew. And I like, you know, I think Gardner Minshew is a a fine back. I mean, a really fine player, to be honest with you. But I don't think that winning games this year is why Gardner Minshew was brought in.
5: No, absolutely not. He he was brought in just uh, he he might be. I have to, you know, I don't have a great knowledge of all thirty-two backups, but there can't be more than three or four backups I'd rather have than Gardner. Minshew. Agreed. There might not be. Right. There might not be three or four. Um, so he's a great backup, but yeah, they didn't bring him in because yeah, we're going to be pretty good in, in 23 with Minshew. We'll be great in 20- No, no, he's here just an emergency, but they also know it. They could, you know, it could happen. It could, this kid could be not ready. And so they better not go 0 and six, zero and 17. Having said that, I think Urse is having is, is as much talking himself into it as everybody else. Urse, he's so competitive. He wants to win so badly and he really ties his. And I don't blame him for this. He ties his a lot of his not self worth. That's wrong because he's he's you know he's a recovering addict. He his self worth is tied into one day at a time kicking his demons' butts, and he does. But he also he really wants to win. It's a family name. It's his dad. It's his daughters. He so I think he's trying to talk himself into what I said earlier about myself is that I like to kind of set the bar low for things that I care about so that when it happens better, I get really happy as opposed to the opposite. So I, he's doing that for Colts fans, but I think he's doing it for himself as much as anybody else.
1: Greg Doyle is with us here. Again, columnist, of course, at the Indianapolis Star, and he is on the Payless Liquors Hotline with us. Greg, you've been following the Pat Fitzgerald story um, oh, at yeah. all?
5: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm Listen, this is
1: – it's in my wheelhouse
5: of things that had I been – if I'm still at CBS, um, this is the kind of story that I would have written about three days in a row – getting madder and madder and madder about until i finally you know this was this is the kind of thing that i I would start off with moral high ground which is holy cow that's awful and then after about three stories i would be saying he should be buried underneath the jail somewhere you know i would have i would just lost my mind on this story because it's so awful so i'm glad i can just watch it from afar and just kind of silently fume until you ask me about it
1: so you are totally good then with him
5: being fired oh yeah i'm totally bad with him ever working again in in coaching but he will it's I mean, there's two places he's going to end up. There's, there's. If you're Vegas, you got to bet all your money on one of these two spots. He's either going to be on Nick Saban's staff because that's what Saban does, or he's going to be working for ESPN because that's what ESPN does. They don't, they don't merely hire former coaches or recently fired coaches. They only hire recently hired, co- recently fired coaches who, have in a scandal, it's the damnedest thing. Go back and look. I mean, they, and I'm sure there's some exceptions on there, but very few. If, if you're a coach and you've been in trouble. You're going to ESPN next. It's the weirdest thing, but that's what happens. And it might be because uh, ESPN's anchors and probably their higher-ups have the same agents as these coaches. I suspect there's – you know, just like when hiring firms, they they put forward certain names and people think uh, – people who don't understand don't realize that this is all just the old boys club scratching backs. This hiring firm put that AD in there, and so when the AD is hired a football coach, that same hiring firm that says, you owe me – they're gonna they're gonna say you ought to hire this coach over here, and it happens all the time, and it's awful. I think ESPN probably has some agreements with, uh, and you guys are ESPN. Are you still ESPN Radio?
1: Yeah, ESPN Radio affiliate. Yep.
5: Yeah, screw it. So ESPN's probably going to do that with uh, with Fitzgerald because they have the same agent. Like Pete Thamel's got the same agent as all these guys. Like you, you wonder why? did Pete Thamel come from? Why is he breaking all? This, he's got the same agent as all the coaches, and ESPN has the same agent. It's all they're all scratching each other's backs and. And that's fine. People don't want to know how the sausage is made, but that's how it's made.
2: Greg, I'll bet you he ends up as an NFL coach. That that would be so. that be my wager. Now, I, I had mentioned I was this I saying SEC. SEC is probably yeah. I mean, <laughs> Lane the, the next Arkansas head coach. Greg, I said this earlier, and I'm curious your thought on this. To me. Northwestern, and I will give Northwestern credit for acting swiftly on the Pat Fitzgerald situation after the initial two-week, you know, hey, we need two weeks to investigate this. Does Northwestern follow this lead and and put the dogs on it as aggressively as they did? If it's the Chicago Sun-Times or the Chicago Tribune, let me explain. I mentioned this earlier, and I'm curious your thought on it. Northwestern as a university is one of the fine, elite academic institutions, and the president of the university certainly knows that. It's a private school, so it can make its own—it it, it just has different standards, probably, in terms of its personnel decisions. But this story was unearthed, uncovered, and investigated by Northwestern's incredibly reputable journalism department and its own student newspaper. Doesn't Didn't that— in turn force northwestern to take it even that much more seriously because how are they going to dismiss or snub their nose or or take lightly an investigation by the very department that they internationally tout as one of their finest products
5: that's pretty good yeah I mean that's listen when you when you add that to it then it, it becomes even you know impossible to ignore so I, I'll give you that that's a great I'll give you that. I do think to answer. You kind of you mentioned earlier, if the Chicago paper, whichever one's still alive, uh, if if they had been the one to break it, I, I still think this happens. We'll never know, but but there's no way. Yeah, there's no way. Northwest is like a medical school, and they their 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 medical school discovers uh, you know the cure for whatever, and they don't tout it before everybody else. No, we're touting it because our people did this. So yeah, they're standing behind their student journalists for sure, and the, and the journalism program more importantly. Yes. But also, I think, I mean, I think if the Indianapolis Star had broken it, not that we were going to, but if we had broken it, because it, it takes a life of its own, once that first person breaks it, it's, it's out there and it's just too late. And, and there are some things the, the society just doesn't tolerate anymore. We just don't tolerate, we don't tolerate what we perceive as, and, and I don't say, I, what what was sexual abuse, basically, in hazing. We don't tolerate that anymore. But And kudos to the journalism program at Northwestern. I get to advise... Uh, a sports rider every year through their program. J.A. Adonde is one of the professors. and So I get to know one kid a year over there and, and none of the kids that I've ever known broke the news because they're following in my footsteps of breaking nothing. But still, it's, it's an impressive
2: program. You know, the for Fitzgerald, the Catch-22 is going to be this, Greg. Fitzgerald is kind of stuck. He's painted into a corner because he can say either, A, this didn't happen, or B, it might have happened, but I didn't know about it. Well the latter doesn't hold water because if you are a guy that's making 7 5 to 7 million dollars i don't care if you're making 5 to 7 million or 50,000 If you are in a position when you are going into parents' homes and saying, you send your young adult to me for four years, I am going to oversee them. You have a responsibility to, and I get it, you can't always know what goes on in guys' apartments after hours, but inside the confines of your football facility, you are responsible for knowing what's going on.
5: Yeah, ignorance is a better defense if you're speeding down a country road Cop pulls you over and speed limit's thirty five and you thought it was still fifty five. It doesn't work there, but at least you legitimately—you're just one guy in a car, one woman in a car—and man, maybe you happen to look down at a—you know—in that heartbeat when the speed limit changed, and you really didn't know. That—that that, I mean, I can believe that you're still going to get your ticket, but I, I can believe you didn't know. I can't believe Pat Fitzgerald didn't know this is going on because like it can happen once. This has been going on for years and years, and
6: and never—it's
5: not even a matter of do you believe. Do you believe he didn't know? It's more a matter of are you willing to lie to yourself just to just to think he's a decent human being? B- because the, the facts are there. Like th- there are there are photos of I think there's a photo that certainly it's been reported. I think there's been a photo of yeah. In fact, the reporters at Northwestern I think saw a photo of Pat Fitzgerald's board during a meeting with the Shrek list, and he had names on there, and even had like code for certain things you're going to do to these people. And the Shrek list is what they called the kids that needed to be hazed. I mean, there's like there's, there's, it's not a matter of well, you have to believe the coach knew. No, no, no. We we know he knew. We know he knew. And the question is, how long is he going to lie about it? And who's going to believe it someday? And my money's on Ole Miss. And listen, my parents both taught at Ole Miss. Uh, my dad, anyway. I, I lived in Oxford for six seven years. Uh, I've known actually two of the chancellors at Ole Miss. I I will always love Oxford, Mississippi. But Ole Miss, they don't care. They, if you can win, they're hiring you. Uh, Lane Kiffin, Hugh Freeze, they don't care. So my my guess is this
1: year would up as defensive coordinator at Ole Miss. Greg Doyle is with us, Indy Star columnist. Greg, I know you wrote something on him, I believe, back in the fall, and it really is a crazy story. I mean, Franklin, Indiana, has produced the number 3 overall pick in the MLB draft. Straight from high school, Max Clark uh, to the Detroit Tigers on Sunday. What do you remember about your interactions with Max, his family, uh, I think uh, at that time it was more like I mean here's this dude that's going to be a top 5 pick and he's playing football his senior year of high school which again is an astonishing feat.
5: Yeah, in this day and age nobody would do that, but as I remember from writing that story that that Max Clark once you're as good as Max Clark at that early age, you don't just have a high school coach, you've got and you don't just have an AAU coach, you've got a private hitting coach and you've even probably got an advisor somewhere advising you and I forget who these people are, but he had his private hitting coach and his advisor both either were or had a brother who were a high draft pick who also played football. So he had people advising him not to play football. They weren't telling him, you've got to do this. More like he had people telling him, look, you can do it. If you want to, you can do it. My brother did it. I did it. You know, it, It's, it's going to work out okay. And, and you're rolling the dice. And I, I wrote a story watching a football game with his parents, watching Max play. In fact, and there was one hit. I remember he got hit over the middle. And, you know, I'm, I watched the hit, and I really turned to his parents, and we're, we're talking about it. And you're rolling the dice, but the odds are you're going to be okay, and it turned out okay. My memory of, of Max, it's, it's bigger than one thing. It's more the feeling that I have, that I had watching Romeo Langford uh, in high school. And, and more so, and the reason, more than just the talent, and that's why I have this feeling, that although the talent's so clear, you know, they're both the best athlete on the court or the field, at that level, that you're going to see. But more than that, after the game, the way little kids come running up to you, and I don't mean three, I mean the whole crowd. They all come running up to you, and you stand there and you smile for them and you sign and all that. That's Max Clark. Like that was Romeo and New Albany. You know, Romeo and New Albany, the love affair there, it's, you know, that's real. It's all that. Well, same with Max Clark and Franklin. You know, some kids, although we don't see him much anymore, I've got this theory that to be great anymore in sports, and I mean great like it, at the Max Clark level, or maybe even slightly below that. But to be great, you've got to have the, the the heart and the compassion and the empathy also. Like, you just can't, in this day and age, you really can't be a self-centered jerk and become that great. I'm not sure why it is, but you rarely see that high school kid. Like, look at Wimanyama. You just don't see, you don't see jerks becoming that good. There's something wired in them that, that gets the whole picture. And Max gets the whole picture, and it's beautiful.
1: Greg, it's a question that... I think I asked Jake just kind of randomly a few months ago, and we didn't really spend a whole lot of time on it. And it's probably not super relevant right now, but uh, to me, it kind of screams July 11th. When you think neither about, neither am I, Kevin. Let's keep going. Say it again. I said neither am I. It's <laughs> right now. Would you think about like important sports figures in our market? You know, in some way, shape, or form, Jim Irsay, Herb Simon, Roger Penske would probably appear near or at the top of that list. When you think about the succession of the individuals in those three areas, Penske obviously over at IMS, you know, Ursay with the Colts, Herb Stein with the Pacers. Do you think there's any like level of concern you have with any of those three and just what, how we think about or where maybe the Pacers, the Colts, IMS is and, you know, five to 10 years after whoever will be that next successor will take over?
5: You have to be. You have to be concerned a little bit. Now, now Penske no. Now whoever takes over for Pinsky won't be as good as Penske because he's a. I mean, he's a unicorn in that sport. I mean, there's just there's only there's just whoever replaces him can't possibly be as good as he is at seeing the big picture and you know. But IMS isn't leaving. You know, you can't just pack up IMS and take it somewhere else. So uh, my, I'm not concerned in, in the grandest sense of are we going to lose this sport? And I'm not concerned concerned with the Pacers the Colts. I'm not. But uh, but. I think to ignore the obvious, which is when when a new owner takes over, even if it's a kid. I mean, look at the Indianapolis Colts and how we got them. You know, things happen. You know, things do happen, and you just don't know. Now, I know that I know both families are really tied into our city, and, and I know for, especially the Colts. You know, the Ursae daughters. You know, I, there's a wild card in there. You know, Ursae's married. I believe he's married, um, and that's a wild card. And I don't. I hate to talk personally about things. I don't know, and I don't know, but but I know he's married. Or he's with somebody significantly, I believe, and and he's got three daughters, and you just don't know how that plays out. You just you just wonder. And whereas the, whereas the the Pacers, Herb has a, has a kid out in California, Steve Simon, that I think everybody understands. Steve will take over, and Steve just like Herb doesn't want to be known as their last name attached to the, the Pacers leaving this market. So am I concerned? No, I'm not concerned. But to say you can't have that on your radar even a little bit, well that that would be um,
2: that'd be foolish. Yeah, Greg, I think to me. The thing that that is the curveball that you can never, and and we saw this with the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the curveball that you can never rule out is when all of a sudden, and you, you start talking about inheritance taxes, and the inheritance tax versus the tax off of a revenue from a sale and the monetary difference thereof, then all bets kind of go out the window right because the best laid plans can be there before you but then all of a sudden the tax man comes calling and that's to me where things get interesting because you just never know to your point at, the, at that point you never know where things could end up
5: and more so than you never know in my case you don't even understand like I don't correct I don't understand and so that's not a that's not a strategy that I get and you'd like to think, and in most cases, you have to believe that whatever the inheritance taxes are, whatever any of that stuff is, um, you're so rich it doesn't matter. But at the same time, liquidity and all that—I don't know. I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't think that would be. I think the more likely scenario, if—and I don't—I'm not like sounding like I sounded the alarms on Shaq Leonard, the over/under is he gonna play again? I—I—I I, I, I mean, I mean that. I, I want. I really wonder. I don't really wonder if the Colts are leave, and I really don't wonder. But the, but the wild card with the Colts would be – and the Pacers, but mainly the Colts – would be not the inherent attacks to me. It would be um, if another city – like Vegas, thank goodness Vegas has been satisfied. Yeah,
2: been I involved. agree with that. Vegas is scary to me. Greg, I'm telling you, from an NBA standpoint, not NFL, yeah, but true. from an NBA standpoint, Vegas and Seattle to me are still real scary. Like, I want those filled.
5: Yeah, Ve- Vegas – yeah, both of them, but Vegas specifically because Seattle – there's a little bit of of, of you know, yeah they they had it didn't work you know I mean they, they want it again St. Louis gets this football team again it, it does happen but Vegas is clearly going to get one they're going to get one the question is who's it going to be and you just don't know inheritance taxes are one thing but the other thing is is what is some rich person in Vegas funded by casinos and backed by by money we don't even know about what stupid money are they going to offer at somebody because they're going to take somebody's team and it's going to be somebody's team that doesn't win a whole lot and somebody's team from not a huge market. And, and there are 15 of those probably in the NBA. I mean, and, but so it's not just us. It's going to be the Pacers or the, or the Pistons. No, it, but there are 15 of them. But, but to say that our, our franchise isn't one of them would be just – it would be negligent to, to not think about it. And I promise you, and I don't know this, but I promise you I believe that our city and our state liter- leaders have that on their, their – their, their, beyond their radar, they're in regular contact with people that matter at the Pacers about making sure they're happy here. I promise
2: you that. Now, that said, if – hypothetically like a couple of years now in other words i think the pacers are right on the cusp greg i really do and i'm not trying to sit there and carry their water right on the cusp is probably a little bit aggressive. But I do think that you got to tip your cap to the Pacers in realizing that they were stuck in the mud and saying, you know what, uh, we're going to put this into a different gear and it might just start spinning mud everywhere or we might actually get some progress. And I feel like they've got some progress getting out of the mud pit and their their future, I think, is pretty exciting, to be honest with you.
5: It, it actually is. After seeing Jairus Walker, to me, he's a huge piece and and getting Obi Toppin and, and Bruce Brown, but Jarris Walker is that we need to see. I mean, he's just like Mathurin last year. You better be really, really good, or you or not you because it's not your fault if you're not really good. You didn't draft yourself. But if you're not really, really good, the Pacers have set themselves back because they, they can't afford to miss. You know, some franchises no one can afford to miss, but some can overcome it more than others. Pacers can't miss in the top ten picks. They just can't do it. And I don't, you know, Jarris Walker I have no idea, I have no idea. But the first couple games he's played and the energy he plays with and the defensive the tenacity and, and the really the versatility. And I mean on offense, I, like everybody talks about, oh, he can guard three positions. Okay, you're saying that because you've heard someone else say I don't – who knows? But I can watch you with the basketball and tell you can actually dribble the ball. You can do this, you can do that. You're actually more than just a power forward. I, he excites me a lot. They they still are one or two really good players away. Would Pascal Siakam push them a lot of, towards towards the top? He'd put at least towards the top of com- competing for an Eastern Conference semifinal berth. He would. I'm not sure where that rumor comes from. I've seen Mark Stein. You know, he's got a sub stack, and I don't subscribe to him, um, which is ironic, I guess. But then again, I don't live where in his backyard. So if you don't subscribe to him, Star, what are you doing? But I don't subscribe to him. I don't even know where he lives. But he's got some rumor that says, yeah, the most interesting thing I heard, Well, if, if that's how you start your report, I use in quotes on Siakam to the Pacers, that the most interesting thing you heard was, then that's a rumor. And I'm not getting excited about rumors.
1: Greg, last one, and I appreciate your time here on this Tuesday morning. I believe last time we chatted, you were promoting a boxing appearance for yourself. Is that still happening? Did, did we miss that? I I feel like I would have seen something on it.
5: Had that happened, you couldn't have possibly missed it. Um, but no, I I got into training for about a month in, in my gym, and there's a competition team, and I was there and doing that and some sparring, and it just kind of hit me. You know, it's it's weird. It in I don't want this anymore. You know, and that really came as a, it, it was kind of a knock me back for a couple of days because I've identified myself in my own head for about 20 years. It's not a fighter fighter. I don't have five amateur fights, but I've identified myself as someone who's always wanted to get back there and I'm, I'm going to do it. And then all of a sudden to realize it's right there, I can do this and I just don't have it anymore. I don't, and I don't mean I'm not good enough. I mean, I just don't want to do it because, and, and boxing is kind of like, I don't know, skydiving or something else that you better believe all the way or it's just not, you're going to get hurt. Um, and I, the thing is sparring is you got to be willing to go hurt somebody in sparring because they're coming after you. It shouldn't be that way all the time, but it is. And I found myself sparring with, with some people and I didn't want to hurt them. And I'm not saying I could have, I'm not that good, but, but to defend yourself against someone trying to hurt you, you got to go, okay, well, I'm coming at you at full speed too. And I didn't want it. I just didn't want to do it to anybody. So anyway, it didn't happen. But if we're promoting things, I went to Kitchell. Have you ever heard of Kitchell, Indiana?
2: I've heard of Ted Kitchell. I say yeah, I've heard of Ted. <laughs> That's but,
5: the problem. If you, if you start googling Kitchell, Indiana, you got to do that Google trick where you do you do dash Ted. That means it won't call up anything with the word Ted in there. So, if, so Kitchell, Indiana, they they are more than Milan. Perhaps the least likely. I'm saying the least likely sectional champion in our state's history. Basketball, boys' basketball, happened a long time ago. I've heard about Kitchell from a reader or two over the years. Anyway, I went out there to Kitchell and stumbled onto some stuff. You, get, you make your own luck, I guess. I got really lucky out there. That story's going to be coming in a couple of days. Kitchell, Indiana. And by the way, Kitchell doesn't exist anymore. So the story's going to sound like it's made up because I'm writing about things that aren't even real anymore. That's kind of cool. But finally, I would urge people to go to the Indiana Historical Society downtown on Ohio. It's basically a state history museum. They've got a Chuck Taylor exhibit. And I went there a couple days ago thinking, I might write about this. Uh, and I'm walking through there looking at the pictures and whatnot thinking, well, it's cool. I like state history and basketball, but there's no column here. And then I turn the corner and see somebody doing some weird things with his hands and realize, what is he doing? I start doing what that guy's doing with my hands and realize, oh, there's a column here. So that story went up this morning. You guys, Mark Dykton, so kind to tweet out the link on your on your main account. It's it's open to readers uh, about the Chuck Taylor exhibit. And it's I know the bar's kind of low. Like, why, why don't I read about that? All I can tell you is one of my bosses has sent me three notes in my career in nine years. Three notes. Hey, that was a fun story. Three times in nine years, this is one of the three.
1: I drove to Columbus, Indiana. This would have been a handful of years ago when they did – I. I... They basically came out with like Columbus-related Chuck Taylors. There was a blue one that kind of had a little bit of a Columbus North look to it, an orange one that had a little bit of a Columbus East look to it, and I remember I drove down at the time, my former employer, I lied, I told him that I had a doctor's appointment because I was so obsessed with Chuck Taylors back then, and I drove down there to make sure I was in line uh, early in the morning to get my pair of Chuck Taylors. Uh, blue with the state of Indiana on it. I absolutely love them. So I don't know if that is any affiliation with your story, Greg, but that's my Chuck Taylor state of Indiana story.
5: I might need to go to your LinkedIn page, Google when those shoes came out, figure out who you worked for at that time, <laughs> and uh, start, start dropping some dimes. I'm, you know, there, there are snitches out here and no, I'm not one of them, but still that's kind of a cool story. I like it. You, you gotta be, you gotta be invested to do what you just did there, but that's the kind of passion that fuels your business and mine. We need people that care about stuff that much that they would do those sorts of things. So, good on you.
1: Yeah, thank you for somehow coming around on that. Uh, Greg, great stuff. We will see you probably here in a couple weeks when Colts report to training camp.
5: I'll be out there. Kevin, see you. Jake, talk to you later. All
1: right, we'll see you, Greg. Greg Doyle, Indianapolis Star columnist right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Let's hit a morning check down.
2: Uh, this just in, breaking news, shock in the world, Kitchell has won the sectionals. I'd like to know Kitchell, Indiana, what, and I was going to ask Greg this, but I didn't want to put him on the spot. Uh, somebody text me if you know the answer. Kitchell, Indiana would have been consolidated into what high school?
1: I've hung out with Tyler Kitchell before. Good guy. Really? hmm Yeah.
2: I'm trying to think of any Kitchell I know other than Ted Kitchell. I think that's... That's it, right, is the only Kitchell I can think of.
1: Speaking of random towns in Indiana... Uh, Tyler the, Kitchell,
2: Center Grove, right?
1: India, yes. Uh, the Indiana Pacers out in Vegas for their summer league. Last night they win. Dominating performance, 108-85 over the Magic. Andrew Nemhar 21-7. Benedict Matherin struggled scoring from the field, but you certainly like the six assist number for him as he is trying to find that balance between score and playmaker. Jarris Walker, as Greg Doyle, I think, accurately pointed out, uh, you have to be very encouraged by what he has shown in the first two games. He had 16 points last night. And Ben Shepard, much better in Game 2 for the other first-round pick of the Pacers. 16 points on 4 of 7, shooting from 3. 9 rebounds and no turnovers. The Pacers have 3 games left in Vegas. I don't think it would shock anyone if we have seen the end of Nemhard, Matherin, and Isaiah Jackson in their time in Vegas. Uh, tomorrow night, 7.30 against the
2: Thunder. <laughs> For the Pacers. I thought Ben Shepard, by the way, was really big last night after kind of struggling in game number one. Uh, last night in the Home Run Derby, as you heard predicted, two things that you heard predicted yesterday on this fine program, the first of which I will give JMB credit. He was the first to hint at it. First, um, or excuse me, Farm Aid on September 23rd, I believe it is, will be coming to the Ruoff Music Center. The other is that Vlad Guerrero Jr. is going to win the Home Run Derby. And that's exactly what happened, right? Uh, happened last night. But other than a kid getting beamed in the head... In left center field at one point, Kevin. Uh, pretty fun to watch last night, right? Yeah, I thought early. Uh, yeah, that's quite the quite the other. Well, no, you had mentioned earlier that you were worried a kid would get hit. And some poor kid was not looking. when. when might be time to replace the kids out in the outfield. Head that's up, Jamie. Look out. We had some
1: fireworks, certainly early on. Adley Rutschman from the Orioles batting from both sides of the plate. Uh, kind of a cool moment with his dad pitching to him. Uh, Julio Rodriguez, of course, the hometown guy. Uh, 41, was that the number he had? I think it was 41 homers in one round there. So some great theater early on. And then as typically happens in these home run derbies, it's pretty much of you know which guy has been able to rest the most. Uh, some of those guys certainly tired out there. But Vlad Guerrero Jr., 17 years after his father won it, he is your home
3: run derby champion.
1: <laughs>
2: Uh, one other video by the of this way.
1: kid
3: get beamed yeah. and then he's, <laughs> I don't t- mean to laugh but then <laughs> Vlad Guerrero is just still hitting dingers and the kid's just laying in the outfield and the other kid's like oh, it's my turn I'm gonna catch the ball uh,
6: now I mean, those
2: kids are like bumping into each other one less or, kid yeah. to have to worry about right uh, this is one of and I guess tomorrow is now included so three days on the calendar year where there are no professional sports being played not not today because you had the all-star game but yesterday and then tomorrow and Thursday but also most importantly 7-11 day which means Florida uh, according to Tony Kanon, free Slurpees. Yeah, at free small today. Slurpee
3: at all Speedway slash Seven Eleven. What flavor are you going with? Oh, you got to do the mix. You got to get it all.
2: Suicide. Yeah, yeah. Probably
3: That's the only way to do it.
1: Probably maybe a um, Slurpee for I guess morning. Uh, the other news item to note from yesterday: Pat Fitzgerald making a stop at Seven Eleven.
2: Yeah, Pat Fitzgerald is actually making a stop at his law firm because the. Former Northwestern football coach, now former, because yesterday finding out that his time has come to an end as the Northwestern investigation of hazing has concluded that he will be replaced by a member of his staff who will be the interim head coach, but Pat Fitzgerald apparently is going to lawyer up and dig in to try to maintain his position. I that obviously just comes down to how much money you can get out of them on the way out the door Bob Huggins in West Virginia doing the same thing you saw that story right where Huggins is like uh, I didn't resign
1: didn't he isn't that like in the first like three sentences of his original
2: statement to West Virginia I believe somebody is saying now that that came from his wife's email oh
1: boy hmm. coach huggy wife 24 there sending that email from her Yahoo account her AOL account I think is you what gotta, she fired off that email from you
2: got no to walk man
1: uh, when we come back, we played some Jim Merce audio earlier on the Shaquille Leonard, Jonathan Taylor health fronts. What about Anthony Richardson and playing time for him in year one? Uh, we'll play some clips from Merce on the other side. Kevin Aquari here,
4: 93.5107. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqal and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
2: Five the fan. Thank you to Alec, who pointed out that Kitchell High School is now part of the Union County High School, along with Liberty and Brownsville High Schools. I believe that is the home area of the late, great, legendary bob jenkins so way over by richmond right i think that's right yep Well,
1: desmond bain did you have you ran into desmond bain's mom lately i feel like it's been about 48 hours
2: since you (laughs) last saw her (laughs) we had went to the tjf friday she took great care of us as i said i'm sitting there like at the end of the dinner and i'm like wait a minute like she's getting ready to move to memphis i mean i gave her a nice tip i always try to but i'm like her son makes 41 million a year (laughs) you know but it's cool she actually said she's going to 10 bar down she actually told me she goes the one thing I'll miss about going down to Memphis um, will be the customers at T.J. Fridays which I thought was pretty cool I've
1: heard great things about her son as a human off the floor so credit to him for what he's accomplished pretty remarkable NBA career already and obviously a bright future on the horizon. Speaking of future, Anthony Richardson, uh, Jim Irsay, made an appearance yesterday with Pat McAfee on the Pat McAfee show. And you know, earlier we played the injury related updates for Jonathan Taylor and Shaquille Leonard from Ursay. The first comment that he made yesterday, uh, team related, was in regards to Anthony Richardson and Jake the elephant in the room. Two weeks from today, report day, you know, okay, how early is Anthony Richardson going to get? first team reps on a consistent basis, how early is he going to start in year one, all of those related comments. Here was Ursay when asked about that yesterday.
0: For Anthony Richardson, it's going to be, it's going to be tough, we know that, oh, no. but he has to play to get better. I mean, there's no question, you know, Gardner could come out and, you know, obviously play better early on, just being, being a veteran, but we have to get Anthony on the field, and that's you know Shane's call when he decides to do it.
1: Jake, I heard that comment from Jim Ursay, and I went back and listened to it again, and now hearing it for a third time, I, I just continue to nod my head at Irsay's thought process with Anthony Richardson. Could Gardner Minshew come out and play a little bit better early on than Anthony Richardson? Without question. But then Irsay quickly mentions... But we have to get Anthony on the field. I know it's a bit of a loser mentality. I know it's a mentality that, you know, maybe is too soft and it's millennial of me and all of this. Whatever. This season is about one thing, and it's the development of the prize. It's anything and everything. All of it is about Anthony Richardson and your ability to get him to be a better football player and how quickly you reach the answer of is he the definite. Peace, building block, side of Lucas Oil Stadium, all of those things. So if Gardner Minshew can win you two more games this season and starting over Anthony Richardson, whoop de do. Does he no good? I don't care one bit about it. Everything is about on field development of Anthony Richardson.
2: If you look historically, Jim Mersey is a big history guy. Football history guy. You know, what's what's he talking about more than anything else? I mean, he talks about different eras, different teams, different, you know, the horseshoe. If you look historically at when the Colts have drafted quarterbacks early they under Jim Mersey's tenure some of the time when he was a general manager some time when he was an owner Peyton Manning, feet to the fire right away. Andrew Luck feet to the fire right away. But you go further back than that. Jeff George feet to the fire right away. When Jim Mersey was the general manager Chris Chandler Drafted, I think, a second-round pick. And played 15 games as a rookie, started 13 of them. Feet to the fire early. I think that that's his, his thought process.
1: Yeah, and I guess, to be fair to Richardson, Jake, his resume looks a lot different than those guys did coming out of college.
2: Understood, but the investment's the same.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know. I would agree whole wholeheartedly on that. Um, again, and I would argue that is even more reason to play him... Early on, because I just think he needs to be exposed to situations and moments that he didn't encounter a whole lot at Florida. I mean, at Florida, he was a starter for one full season, thirteen total games, and they went six and six. Sure, he's in the SEC, but it's not like he played in meaningful late November, December SEC title bowl. He didn't even play in the bowl game. And you look at some of the rivalry type games you would label. Certainly, Florida State, he really, really struggled. So I think exposing him into those environments that are out of kind of the norm or maybe out of his strengths, and by that I mean this. I asked Greg Dole just a few minutes ago to clarify, like you know, when he said Richardson is going to play 15 games, I said, do you mean play 15 games or start 15 games? Because I think throwing Richardson into games in kind of that sub package, like, oh, yeah, short yardage, let's throw Richardson in there, or red zone, let's put Richardson in there. Uh, that to me doesn't really evaluate him to the level that you would want. I think you want him in uncontrolled settings. You want him running the entire operation. You want him having to bounce back from bad. You want him having to bounce back from good. um, Two-minute situations, fourth quarter, one-score games. All of those things you want to put on his plate. And I feel like Ursay and I kind of align in the He's got to play. There's, I've said this a million times. There's no position in sports that differs more from practice than a game than professional football. You literally wear a different color jersey in practice. You can't sniff touching the quarterback, and so you got to take off that body armor if you will in a game, and you got to be, you know, willing to be hit and, you know, feeling what NFL speed is like and the NFL windows and all those things. There's no way to do that. In a practice setting, and think you're truly getting a big evaluation on him.
2: I just think the one thing with Anthony Richardson didn't happen with Andrew Luck, didn't happen with Peyton Manning, didn't happen with Chris Chandler. Happened a little bit with Jeff George. Jeff George's situation was uh, uh, was different because he had constant rotation of coordinators and not very good receivers. And Bob Ursay, you know, there were a lot of factors going in there, but. I have always felt, Kevin, that a quarterback, and in particular a quarterback as young as Anthony Richardson at learning the position, there is the potential for irreplaceable harm that is done by getting a guy either physically beat up, Richardson's a pretty big guy, that did not seem as likely, or emotionally beat up by those windows collapsing so fast that then they become paranoid to ever throw the ball again. I, you know, there were times with Jacoby Brissett, who was a Jacoby Brissett at got too conservative, and I think that he became weary of ever throwing the football because the he just wasn't used. I don't think to the collapse time that that comes with the window collapse at the NFL level, and that's a situation where once you get that in your head, it's tough to overcome that. And that would be the only thing is you want to make sure that you're putting Richardson in a situation where he is not getting to the point where he's hearing the voices and the the footsteps all the time and that you can't come back from that.
1: Yeah, Jake, this might sound too harsh but I think if you're worried about the quarterback's ability to come back from that, I think you've drafted the wrong quarterback.
2: I, I, I don't disagree with that but I think it's, but I do think that that's a reality you have to at least be aware of. Your point's well taken. And I do think that they're going to come up with designs and and plays to allow Anthony Richardson to get yardage and make plays beyond just throwing the football. You know what I mean? Yeah, Shane
1: Steichen is going to obviously right. cater things around him big time. I don't know if this matters at all, but I'll throw this at you. This is from Pat Jake. Uh, don't you think Ursay's dire need to win week one? Haven't won an opener since 2013 especially versus the Jags, leans toward Minshew starting week one, and then you give Richardson the reins after that?
2: I don't know that Jim is overly is concerned with that, quite frankly. I think Ursay's mentality may be, throw this kid the keys and let's see, what go, let's see what happens. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen in terms of a week one win, but I think he wants to get him going. I think he's finally realized that
3: them being like playoff contenders and all that might be over so yeah he's, he's
2: accepted reality right
3: yeah i think the last couple of years he's like all right we got to get off to a hot start do this do that because his expectations were a lot higher where well he's, now he's tempered kind of the seen, whole
2: multiple lombardi's discussion right yeah i mean he, he's tabled that for a while we talked a little bit earlier
1: about Shaquille leonard and his situation and i just mentioned at this point you almost chalk it up as a bad contract uh, Colin pointed this out, and I think it is something that you have to live in reality with this Leonard situation right now. Um, a lot of people are like, just trade him, just cut him. The cap hit the Colts would take on by doing something like that with Leonard right now is nearly $30 million. Now, if you look at next offseason, there is a bit of an out. I, I think the dead cap hit is around $8 million for Leonard after next year. So... That is a little bit more manageable, certainly, than it is right now, but I know there are people that ask the question of like, just cut him, just trade him. Right now, it'd be a pretty severe penalty. Next offseason, the penalty would be a little bit less severe. It's a shame that I feel like that's relevant to bring up, but you'd be naive kind
2: of reality also mm-hmm. right
1: not to look at that
3: kev maybe you know this I, i'm not sure but like the nba has like the injury like the, the teams can make like what the bulls are doing with lonzo ball they can put like an injury claim in to try to re- reclaim some insurance money if like a player can't play anymore and all that stuff are, is the nfl something like that where if Shaq
2: Leonard's proving that he's not yeah healthy, they that's could a good question
1: um i would assume that would have to be like straight up retirement you know well like that's leading. what it
2: is in, in at the nba right
3: but I mean, we haven't had that with Lonzo Ball just yet, right? No, but the Bulls have already reached out to the league because he's obviously going to be like a second season in a row where he's I not think healthy to play, so they can kind of use his contract
2: and gain some money back from it. I know the Pacers got that with Jonathan Bender, but it wasn't until Bender's career was over. Well, I shouldn't say that because he must not have officially retired because he returned eventually. But when Bender's contract with the Pacers, when he left here, they recuperated eighty percent, I believe, of the end uh, of what they paid him in an insurance from the NBA. The NFL you said you don't think has that I don't
1: think so, Mark, but I would have to look into that. Okay. And if they do, I think it's you know, well down the road where you would encounter that. Uh Jay asks here, any concern over Benedict Matherin's play this summer league? I think that is an interesting question. It's one that I actually have thought about. We'll chat about that on the other side. Alex Golden also in the nine o'clock hour to recap the Pacers second summer league game. Kevin Aquari here on a Tuesday
4: whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you
1: alex golden going to join us here in a few we'll certainly talk summer league and ask him about that pascal siakam rumor with the pacers Uh, jay was asking Uh, any concern at all from Benedict Matherin's play in Summer League, kind of expected more. Last night, Matherin, 4 of 16 from the field, so obviously a big-time struggle shooting the basketball. He had six assists and two turnovers. Um, Yeah, I mentioned this a little bit earlier in the show. I will be very intrigued by watching Matherin this year and that balance for him and being a scorer versus a playmaker. And by playmaker, it's get others involved. I mean, last night he shot it horribly, he also had six assists, and I feel like he easily could have had nine or ten if you know he had a couple hockey assists. He had some guys miss shots that you know he helped facilitate, um, and again, he obviously forced a whole lot offensively. So I think could have even been more of a facilitator. So if you're getting ten assists potentially from an off guard, you obviously like that. So. It just doesn't come natural for him in doing that, and I think his growth, his maturation, and finding that balance is going to be very, very interesting to watch. So, yeah, I think you would like to have seen Matherin certainly shoot the ball a little bit better. I'm not going to over, you know, overreact to two summer league games. We know what happened last year and 80 some games of him playing, uh, but I do think that is something that. For his second year growth, how he's able to handle that, playing more in the starting lineup, you would think, is gonna be something to keep an eye on. It almost looked like Jake, he had like, he put an immense amount of pressure on him in the summer league to try and showcase all the things he was working on. And when it didn't go according to plan, he was like, well, that's a waste of possession. Now I'm going to force it on the next possession.
2: Yeah, I, I would say that there are elements of concern, but those are a little bit softened by the body of work of what we know he's able to do in actual NBA games against actual NBA players. No disrespect to the rest of them in summer league. But it's one of the things we'll discuss with Alex Golden. And that conversation, by the way, is coming up next. Kevin and Query, 93.5, 5, The Fan.
1: Two games down in Las Vegas for the Pacers, three to go. They'll play tomorrow night. I think it's a 7.30 tip Friday, uh, 6.30, and then they'll play one more here to round out their five games out there. Before we get to some of that Pascal Siakam stuff, and uh, let's actually begin with Alex Golden, our next guest again. Setting the Pace is the podcast, and he joins us now on what uh, Jay just asked me. Alex, your thoughts again? It's two games. It's summer league, but your thoughts on Benedict Matherin's performance so far?
6: Oh, it's been a roller coaster, that's for sure. I think it's a good way to Matherin, describe it. Yeah, uh, you know he's a he is what he is. He's a really good scorer. I think we saw against the Magic, he had a little bit more success making the right plays with the right passes. Um, I'm not sure how many assists he ended up with. I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I do know that. There were quite a few plays where he made the right pass, but it felt six like six for the game.
1: On, what was it for the game? Six for the game.
6: Six, okay, yeah. So I, I could definitely tell he was being more passive. But at the very beginning of that first quarter, he was forcing a lot. Anthony Black had his cookies one time. You know, just taking some unnecessary shots that he was forcing a lot. And I feel like um, he's probably just trying to press a little bit too much and, and try to prove what he can do as an on-ball scorer. Because um, when Gennaro Parker was on your guys' show last week, he talked about that, you know, giving Ben that opportunity to kind of be that guy. But I'll say this, the shooting has to improve if he's going to want to be a, a longtime player in the league. Um, we know what he does well driving-wise. He can continue to do that. But if he can at least knock down his three-point shot at at least 35% or higher, he's going to be fine. But the 30% shooting has not been was not great in the first game. And I, I, I like Benedict Madden a lot, but I felt like for summer league for year two – didn't stand out as much as I wanted him to, but I don't want to overreact as well because it is summer league and it's just two games and it's a different group that he won't be playing with most likely uh, in the regular season. So, uh, he he's a good player. He really is, and I think the I think the ceiling is really high for him. But um, yeah, just it's been up and down for him <laughs> the last few games, and I think I've walked away a little bit nervous, but uh, trying not to overthink it too much.
2: Yeah, I, I think you go more off the body of work last year, right? And simply yeah. go, okay, the, you know, there's, and that's the thing. Summer league to me, Al, and listen, Alex, I give the NBA a ton of credit because the summer league suddenly. It's got people talking about the NBA in summer. I I mean, that's and you know, getting twelve thousand in arenas and people watching it. It's great, and it gives us something to watch. I love everything about it, but I think we also need to remember, as I've said several times in the last week on this show, you know, a lot of these guys, for the most part, it's a tryout for European scouts to watch, right, to figure out Mm -hmm. who's going to be a really good player in Italy next year. But is there anybody? So, so that said has yet, and maybe not because the starters are guys that are going to be on the permanent roster for the Pacers, has anybody else taken advantage so far to maybe force Kevin Pritchard to raise an eyebrow?
6: Um, Probably not. Not through the first two games. I think the guys that have really shined have been the guys that are already going to be on the roster. Um, Kendall Brown, I think he'll be brought back on a two-way. I think he's looked pretty good as a, as a defensive kind of guy. Very active, very energetic, has long arms. I think he's better, you know, being more of a slasher on offense. There's probably been at least two or three times I can remember where he had the ball in his hands, and when he went to put the ball on the floor, he got called for a travel, because on-ball scoring is something that I haven't really noticed much from his game as well, but... I think that you know Isaiah Wong's been okay. Oscar Sheehy's been okay as backups in summer league. You no, know, they they had some rough moments there in the first game, but I think they played better in the second game. And the Mojave King really hasn't got to see the floor enough. So with the nine-man rotation, I think it's mostly been the guys that are going to be on the roster anyway that have shown a lot. But um, at least Kendall Brown, it looks pretty pretty solid coming back from that injury.
1: Alex Golden is with us here again. Setting the pace is the podcast. Um, Alex on the Payless Liquors hotline. You know, it's funny that I say this, Alex, two games in the summer league. But I would say the thing I've been most encouraged about is Jairus Walker. And I mean, I was a Jairus uh-huh. Walker fan leading into the draft. I mean, I, I thought, you know, him or Taylor Hendricks, that was the guy that I wanted for the Pacers there at number 7, which turned into number 8. But I, I think the thing that has stood out is, you know, defensively, again, gets his hands on a ton of balls, you know, certainly is active. You can tell he's a really high basketball IQ guy on that end of the floor. But offensively, I think he has shown, like, he's not a liability by any means. I mean, he makes the right play, makes the right reads, can handle it a little bit, can hit an open jump shot. I don't think that was a glaring question, but it was certainly a question entering the NBA. How effective would he be for you offensively? And again, it's two games, it's Vegas, it's all we can go off of as of now. I think he has shown that he can be a pretty capable offensive player in this
3: league.
6: No, I think you're 100% right about that. The The passing ability that he has is just, he sees the floor so well. And he had a beautiful pass. I think it was to start off the fourth quarter where he found Mojave King cutting and he made that pass from the top of the key. Mojave King was cutting off the left baseline. And it was just a beautiful pass and it's little things like that. He's throwing alley-oops as well on fast breaks. Uh, two of eight from three last night, which I thought the three-point shot, the form looked a lot better than it did in the first game. That's something he's going to continue to work on, but you know, one of the big knocks on him that we heard a lot during the preseason or the the pre-draft process was, you know, he doesn't play with a lot of force on the offensive end and settle for too many floaters. I think he actually had a pretty nice floater last night. And while it can be kind of a negative sometimes, I think him just having that feel and that touch is also a really good thing too. So yeah, you want to play with force, but you also want to be able to have that soft finesse touch as well. And I think he displayed all of that in these two games. I, I think the dunk that he had to get the game going, like you could just tell he dunked it with so much ferocity. And if you hear Rick Carlisle talk about this team and how he wants them to play, he always says, we got to play with force. And I think that definitely describes who Jerris Walker is as a player. So through the first few games, you're right, Kevin, that he has been the most impressive. You're probably the most excited to see what he can do, but he's just been active everywhere, offensively and defensively. Uh, the rebounds, I mean, 13, the first game, I think he only had four the second game, but still he just seems to be very present on the glass, active everywhere. I, I think he's going to come in and contribute right away.
1: All right, what do you make of the Pascal Siakam rumor? I'll leave it pretty open ended before you know Jake and I offer any of our thoughts.
6: I mean, I think that it's got to be somewhat true. I mean, the Pacers clearly have a pretty loaded roster right now. They brought in Obi Top and they have Jarris Walker. Pascal is most comfortable playing the four. I think you could play him at the threesome, but. I do think that when Mark Stein reports it, I think it was Michael Grange who also had the report about Pascal potentially being someone the Raptors could trade. I think it's true stuff, um, but at the same time, it's going to take a lot, and I don't know what the Pacers are willing to give up to get him. Would it be Buddy plus McConnell plus other salary and picks? I don't, I don't know, but I think Pascal Siakam instantly takes his team from... I would, I would put them in a, as a top-six team in the East if they got Pascal Siakam, just because I think he would fit so well with that starting lineup, especially if they're able to keep Miles Turner in this trade. And if they don't, then they're going to be hurting at that center position. But I think Pascal Siakam, he's an all-NBA player. He's an all-star-level player. This is a guy that instantly raises this team's floor and its ceiling. And if the Pacers can get this done, I think they have to do it. But you do also have to worry, because he's only got one year left on that deal, could he walk in free agency and would you be trading something of value that you want long term for him and if that's the case then I would probably be a little bit hesitant to do that.
2: That's the thing is what would you give up to get him? If you had to guess yeah. what would be, you know, the market for Siakam would require what?
6: Yeah, you're probably, I mean I think they're probably asking for a Mathren or a Jarvis Walker in a trade like this just knowing what Ooh. Toronto's wanted, and I'm not giving up either of them. I think Nimhard is someone that they also could ask for and that also makes me quiver because I'm I'm a big Andrew Nembhard fan. I think he's been the best player. Uh, him and Jarris Walker have been the best two players in Summer League so far. Uh, he was fantastic, especially against the Magic yesterday. But that's where it gets kind of tough because I, the Raptors' asking price has been so big. If you did a combination of Buddy and Miles plus picks, like I can kind of see that. But at the same time, if you're taking Miles off this team, I don't feel comfortable with any of the centers we have on this roster that make us, you know, that much better to become a playoff team. I think Pascal is better than Miles Turner overall as a player, but yeah, so that that's where I just get kind of stuck with like, what are you, what are you getting in return, and what are you giving up? And I, I should say, so it's tough. I would lean more towards giving up multiple picks and trying to keep as many players that you feel are really solid on this team. But um, the Aaron Nesmiths, the Buddy Hields, if you can pretty much trade most of anybody in your second unit. And if you have to throw Nemhart in there, I can see it. I can you know swallow hard on that one and do it. But I'm not giving up Jarius or Benedict in this in this type of trade. And that's who I think they'll probably ask for.
1: Alex, I think where my hesitancy comes into play. And again, Alex Golden is with us here. Um, you can follow him on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. Does a great job covering the Pacers and setting the pace as the podcast. Where my hesitancy with. Siakam comes into play. I, I just don't think the urgency is there to need to push all the chips in. And all of a sudden, for the next like two to three years, you look at this as like, that's the deal. I mean, you can't really do anything else really big if you are going to trade for him and then give him that contract extension. I don't love that his timeline doesn't match up either. Like, OG Ananobi's four years younger than Pascal Siakam. I, I get they're not the same exact player. But the timelines align a little bit more from an age standpoint. And then lastly, I think he really needs to dominate the ball. As you said, he's a great player. A great player. But he really needs the ball to be very effective. And I just think Halliburton needs to quarterback things. Obviously, Matherin needs the ball. I want to see this current iteration of the Pacers kind of show what they've got for a year. And then at the same time, you still are in a position to, if you need or want to make a move at some point, you can. So I I guess I just don't sit there and say, sit down to the table, Pacers, and push all your chips into the middle.
6: Yeah, it is putting the cart before the horse a little bit by doing this trade, and I think at this point you've got so many young guys that you want to develop your, you know, your salary cap isn't tied up at all moving forward, and so you can kind of see use this year once again as a chance to make the playoffs. Like Tyrese has said it on multiple different interviews that he's done that the goal for this year is to make the playoffs. He's he's tired of not being in the playoffs. He wants to compete, and so if the main goal is to make your star player happy that you just locked up for five years and. You try to make the right roster moves to do that, but you also have to keep in mind like this team just one year ago was preaching rebuild, so they have to continue to try to find that fine balance of rebuilding while still being competitive. And There's a great opportunity for them next year in the offseason to have quite a bit of cap space, even though Halliburton's max will kick in there's a lot of restricted free agents and unrestricted free agents on this current iteration of this team so they could still go out and get Pascal next year and not have to give up hardly anything for it so that that's also something to keep in mind even if you know you're worried about trading a bunch for him the age thing is a great point because based on the reporting that I saw that's part of the reason why the raptors are you know contemplating whether or not they want to trade him because they'd rather kind of go younger with Scotty Barnes and OG Anotobi who is a couple of years younger than Pascal so I'm right there with you. It's it's a tough thing to talk about because he is a great player and he would make your team better. But at the end of the day, is it really the right time to do that? And you're right, KB. I don't think it is.
2: Alex Golden is our guest. He is on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Um, you got some some props from Rachel Nichols, didn't you? Yeah, she she gave me a nice shout out. That was pretty cool. <laughs> I was going to say that was and for those Tell that are us more. Did you see that? No. Mark?
1: That, that sounds really cool. I've always been a Rachel Nichols
2: fan. Uh, it was over the Bruce Brown. You basically broke the news when Bruce Brown Jr. signed with the Pacers, or agreed to a contract with the Pacers, right?
6: Yeah, I, I got tipped off close to the start of free agency that it was happening uh, from a source, and so I tweeted it out and you know, uh, ended up coming true with Woj confirming it about 15 minutes later, so she gave me a shout-out for having it first, which... You know, I I don't really claim myself to be a reporter, which I don't like to do a lot of. But when you get news sometimes, and you make the connections that we've made, you put stuff out there, and you know, it was just cool to see her give me some give me some love. And I'm sure that <laughs> this is just me speculating, but. You know, it was Malika Andrews and Woj that broke the news, and you know she got fired by ESPN for some stuff. So I wondered if there was a little bit of shade there from, <laughs> from ESPN as well. Uh, but it was still really cool uh, to get that love from her and you know give me the the praise for coming with coming with that report first.
2: I love that. Hey, Alex, when you look at the roster in general, mm-hmm. I, I think the Pacers have done a nice job. They've had a good off season. I think you'd have to rate their their off season as effective. Um, where are the holes now? Good question. Um, yeah. I, I mean,
6: I, I think they're still missing that second star next to Tyrese. There's no doubt about it. You're hoping Matherin can become that. Um, they got a lot of really solid players, and I think there's so many guys on this roster that deserve playing time. There's going to be some guys that are left out of the rotation as well, and I think that's a good problem to have. But, yeah, they're, they're really solid one through two. You know, one through 12, one through thirteen, with this roster, I, it's it's really tough for me to sit here and say, well, they need to do this, they need to do that. But you know, you've got a lot of tradable contracts. You've got all your picks. I think just finding that guy that can probably still—they still need that small forward that can be that go-to guy, that three-and-D defender. Because Bruce Brown's only six-four. Matherin, uh, the defense is still a long ways away, and that's why you hear the Pascal Siakam stuff. It is exciting. I don't think Jarius is. Uh, Jarris Walker is a four or excuse me a three I think he's more of a four so I, I still think they're missing that small forward I just don't know how they're going to be able to get it with what they currently have right now uh, be a trade but they have other their picks which is also enticing and they have that money in free agency but uh, if they can address a small forward position and get a long term starter there I think that would be the best bet but they've got a lot of good backcourt players right now and I think it's just going to be very difficult to figure out this rotation Rick Carlisle's Got a uh, a good problem to have, but it's going to be a tough one because there's so many players that deserve playing
1: time. Okay, let's expand on that here to close things out. Um, let's assume that the significant moves are done for the offseason. Give me your opening night starting lineup.
6: Yeah, and I know we've talked about this a little bit, and I've you know I, I've gone back and forth with what I think. I still am gonna I'm still gonna slide Andrew Nembhard and into that starting lineup. with Tyrese Halliburton, like we saw last year. I think those two played well together and I think Carlisle likes having a secondary uh, ball handler out there, a secondary playmaker. I'm assuming Mathurin is going to start just because I think they want to get him the reps and give him that opportunity to show what he can do. And then I definitely think Miles is five. The question mark I have at the four is the toughest one. I think that Jairus Walker is probably going to come off the bench behind Obi Toppin to start the year off, but I think there's a case that Jerris could end up taking that starting position. He's only 19. If you look at what he did, uh, what Carlisle did with Matherin last year, bringing him off the bench behind Buddy Hill, I think it makes more sense to let an established guy, uh, Obi Toppin has been in the league for a couple of years, get that starting opportunity. But I think that's going to be more of a, a battle that happens during preseason and training camp, and we'll have to keep a close eye on it. But I'll go for I'll go Obi Toppin right now at the 4, Miles at the 5, Matherin at the
2: 3 and then Nim Harden and Halliburton at the one and the two. Alex, I'd mentioned this earlier. I, I want you to opine on it. Yeah. I, I think that, and, and I did not think this a year ago, but as more time has passed, I have come to the conclusion that from a camaraderie in chemistry standpoint, the most important player in that locker room might be Buddy Heald. Mm. It just seems like he's a glue piece that the younger players gravitate towards and that there's a bit of a pickle there because he might be based on age and productivity a guy that could be like a trade deadline move but this is also a franchise that probably should have learned some lessons in the past about moving pieces whose mental contribution are as much as their on-court contribution you agree with any of that no, I, I think Buddy Heald is an,
6: an infectious personality in a good way. I think he's just a guy that continues to, to bring joy to the locker room. And I think Tyrese being there and that being, you know, Buddy being his best friend, that also plays a huge factor with it. But Buddy just loves the game of basketball. And I think in Indiana, that's what you want from your players. Yeah, he's not the greatest defender, but the guy can put the ball in the hoop. And if you're looking at this roster, um, if Buddy Hill is on it, you desperately need his playmaking, and not his playmaking, his shooting and his scoring, uh, shot-making, what I was trying to say, off the bench, I think. Because if you put Mather in that starting lineup, I don't think him and Buddy together is good enough defensively for this team to improve on that end. But I think if you can stagger the minutes and have someone like him on the floor at all times, it's going to be huge. And the thing is, yeah, he's an expiring contract, but I think at the same time, he fits in so well with what Carlisle wants to do. He loves this organization. You haven't heard a bad thing about him from anybody, and I agree with you. I think that he's going to continue to just be a huge part of this uh, this culture that they're trying to build. Doesn't necessarily line up with the ages, and that could be why he doesn't stay here for the long haul. But an expiring contract, a guy that tried over 40% from three last year, that fits in perfectly with Tyrese and this group, there's no reason to rush to trade him, and I think the Pacers – value him probably more than maybe teams around the league do because I think he means more to the Pacers than he does probably to the other 29 teams in the league.
1: Again, Alex Golden, NBA, is the Twitter account. Setting the pace is the podcast. Alex, great work on the Bruce Brown front. Coverage has been outstanding all offseason long and always enjoy our combos, man. So uh, have a good rest of the summer and enjoy the rest of the summer league. All righty, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Alex Golden, right there, Payless Liquors Hotline. Again, three games to go for the Pacers tomorrow night. It's a 7-30 tip against the Thunder. They'll play Friday and then close things out with a playoff game in the Summer League coming up this weekend. And right now, 2-0. and By the, the way, people th-
2: can't see it unless they're watching on the YouTube feed, but you did air quotes there, right?
1: For playoff game? Yeah. Yes, I, I did. Uh, are the Pacers going to raise a Summer League banner here if they keep this up?
2: <laughs> Have
1: the Pacers ever won a Summer
2: League title? That is a great question. Summer League champions? I do you want to be the Summer League champion? Where do you hang that banner? Is that at the practice facility? At Lucas Oil Stadium.
3: Oh. They might need to make some room then, because there's a lot of banners up there. <laughs>
2: the Colts are the ones that get mocked most for that, right? Which which banner from the Colts was the one that kicked off the, oh, like...
3: The, the participant It one. was wildcard participant, right? Yeah.
1: Like wildcard team or something? No, it's, it did? literally said wildcard participant. I I, right. Did it really
3: say participant? Uh-huh. I don't think it did. I think it did. I'm it pretty, did. pretty sure I took a picture of it. It did. Yeah. yeah. So like, this is real. Participant was on there? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he, he
1: made he's the playoffs.
3: Right. He didn't win a game. Find me a picture of this.
1: <laughs> You've not noticed this. I mean, I know there's a wild card banner, but the word participant, I don't believe, was on there.
2: I, I, I think Marcus correct. God,
1: that is that's rough. Yeah, that that joke's been played.
3: There's a rumor. Did they that remove that that banner, or is it I think still they there? Did. Because they got, they got so much crap for it that they yeah, I yeah think, maybe take this one down. But I can't imagine that why they wouldn't have thought that in the first place. Like, do we really
2: need to hang this one? Leave this one on West Fifty Sixth. I'm looking it up here to see. I, I I am, I'm with Mark on this. I am ninety nine percent certain that he. I think is, we had some photoshopped
3: participant
1: I'm words pretty sure on there. I took
3: a picture of it
1: because I couldn't. Yeah, e- Ian clarifies. It said AFC finalist. Thank you for that, Ian. Yeah. Remember, it was no, the year they made I, the AFC championship, and they wanted to allude to the fact that they actually won playoff games that year. So that was what they said.
3: I that's what it was. It was finalist,
2: But still, participant. Yeah. Participant
1: right it sounds horrific. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine an NFL team putting participant I, on a I thought banner? They had,
2: I thought they had one that was a wild
3: card banner.
1: Yeah, AFC finalists. I, I think that is correct, Ian.
3: Thank you. For
1: that, for that text,
3: that's what they said when they got that banner put up.
1: Mark, we've got people asking about the YouTube chat. Are we yeah, good? Yeah,
3: so I, I botched it. I, I was We are coming back from break. I had Alex Golden on the thing, and I totally forgot to s- transition back to the show. same missed like 15 minutes of the conversation.
1: Colin goes, here's your chance for you and Jake to pelt
3: him. Yeah. So I guess we're verbally pelting you right now. I owe now. everyone a PBR and a hearty handshake. in the. Whoa. Chat. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Boy, there's a, there could be a lot of people in that YouTube I know. chat. I know. Especially on the day
1: when we had Greg Doyle on the show. <laughs> That's true. A pop quiz coming up in a few. 317-239-1070. Mark, again, Eagles tickets. Sealy Dan, is that
3: right? Eagles and Sealy Dan, pair of tickets all week long. So October 9th from Banker's Life
1: Fieldhouse. Go ahead. Game Bridge, Banker's Life. Yeah, apologies. Uh, Give us a call. 317-239-1070. That is the pop quiz in a few. Uh, Before that, let's do a morning check down.
2: You heard it here yesterday. I, Mark, I thought to your credit, I thought for sure you agreed with me that Vlad Guerrero Jr. was gonna win the home run derby.
3: No, I I like him a lot, but I always thought like since being the favorite, I was looking for like a money bet value, and he was the favorite going in, so it's like I, I like him a lot, but I didn't my, realize Garcia and Rosarena were such good friends. Yeah, and that, that would have been where my money did go to Garcia, but my other one wouldn't a Rosarina
2: and he he had a nice deep run there, but a Rose Arena is how Bob Ursay pronounced Arizona when he got back from that flight in Phoenix back in 1983, right? <laughs> I've never been to a Rosarina. Vlad Guerrero Jr.,
3: 17 years after his dad, he
1: is your Where home
3: run derby <laughs> winner there. Did you see the stat that when, obviously very different times when senior uh, participated in that home run derby compared to junior, but did you see how many total home runs each guy hit when they won I would have Junior hit a lot more Vlad Guerrero Jr. hit 72 and Vlad Guerrero Sr. hit 17 well was it the same format no, no that's what I'm saying not at the at format all, was, was, was the obviously very format. different but th- I saw that st- I was like,
2: Geez. by the way my buddy Sam Kabliska bingo card uh, Sam Kabliska was at a baseball game many, many moons ago, was going to get a hot dog or a beer or whatever. Guy hit a home run. Kabliska happened to be in the area where it was. It's like, oh, guy runs down, grabs the ball of the home run. It was the first career home run of Vladimir Guerrero.
3: I love how he played the game. Mm-hmm. The no gloves is always yeah. cool to see and, and all that. Uh, so, yeah,
1: Vlad Guerrero Jr., your home run champ tonight. The All Star game, our coverage will begin at 7 o'clock.
2: Uh, NBA Summer League, as we just talked about Pacers winners last night, Kevin seems a little bit concerned with Benedict Matherin, but... Ben Shepard last night was probably the, the bigger story because he kind of broke out after struggles in Game 1. Uh, finished with, what, 16 points, 8 boards last night?
1: Yeah, and again, I, I'm just a little bit curious how Matherin's going to get this, alright, let's pass the basketball more. I mean, he had 6 assists last night. You like that? He really struggled shooting the basketball. So, I, I don't know if I'm overly concerned, but I would just say curious. I about mean, it's
2: intriguing for certain is How fair.
1: he's going to grow, because I do think that's such an important part of his growth. If he can, if he can give you a handful of assists Tonight, and you know, still be a really good score. Uh, that's going to greatly help out his efficiency and how good of an offensive player he can be for you. As Jake said, Ben Shepard really good last night. I think you can be highly, highly encouraged by what Jairus Walker has shown on both ends of the floor. It sounds like the veterans are done though. Uh, that would be Andrew Nemhart, Isaiah Jackson. I would assume Benedict Mather in that group. Uh, but again, tomorrow night, seven thirty against. The-
2: um. What is your favorite song from either Steely Dan or the Eagles, Kevin Bowen?
1: oh gosh i would need to hear them for the eagles like the limp
3: biscuit and papa
1: roach (laughs) conversation rolling
2: rolling rolling we
3: have tickets for both right mark for steely dan and and yeah and the eagles yeah it's a give me give me like uh give
1: me a couple eagles songs hotel Hotel.
3: california oh sure take it easy desperado i'd probably go there
1: hotel california or desperado
2: witchy woman's a good one take it easy would probably be mine I, the Eagles to me are real, I, and I, I get that they are. This is a massive concert. You know, by the way, Willie Nelson, Neil Young, John Mellencamp, Dave Matthews, all announced for Farm Aid September twenty third. But God, Dave the Eagles and, again? Yeah, the Eagles and Steely Dan is massive, and people that like the Eagles will throw you down a flight of stairs over them. I find them a little sleepy to you. Witchy woman. Ooh. ooh a woman. I'm a terrible singer. Um, but that's a good Seinfeld reference. That and Desperado.
1: So that will be a pair of tickets we are giving away here in a few on the pop quiz. Um, so again, give us a call at on seven two three nine ten seventy 1070 for that. We'll do that on the other side.
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
0: Indiana's favorite oil chain since
2: 1985.
1: Alright, as you would expect, a heavy baseball focus here on this pop quiz. Uh, we're giving away a pair of tickets all week long to the Eagles and Steely. Dan coming up October Is it 9th? Is that correct, Mark? That's correct. October 9th coming up here over at gamebridge Fieldhouse. Uh, Jake, how about a number for us on the pop quiz?
2: I'll go with the number two today any reason behind that no i just you know i usually go with three it's my favorite number i've gone with six and seven lately so i just thought we haven't done two in a while okay that would be eric what's
7: up
1: eric what's going on eric you big Eagles steely dan fan
2: of course eric uh how old a fella are you you think here, 42? <laughs> Boy, well, that's a good start to That's a promising thing. start to the
1: pop quiz for you, Eric. <laughs> uh, to be fair, Eric, I feel like I'm in the same mode. Like, I'm like, am I 33? Maybe I'm 34. I know I've got a birthday coming up. Yeah, I actually don't think that's a crazy So
2: thing. you were graduating from high school right around the millennium, right? Y2K? Yep, yeah. yeah, right there. Were you 99 or 2000, 98, somewhere in there? 2000. What school? That's Jasper High School. Oh, that's cool. Um, and so how did you end up living in? I assume you live in Indianapolis, yeah. I live in Greenland. Uh, what brought you up here uh, other than your car? Uh,
6: nothing really, just um, went north.
1: Oh, well, uh, that's a <laughs> compass worked. Um, Eric, have you called before? Yes, have I asked you if you know my sister in law?
7: Yes, yeah, I, I do not know her. Okay,
1: yeah. Well, that's about all I got on Jasper. Although I hear Sultan's Run is a great golf course, and it's hosting the Senior LPGA Championship, I believe.
2: If yeah, I think it was last weekend. Well, there you go. So, yeah. Eric, you would have been a couple years behind Michael Lewis, right? Yes, I think I was in eighth grade. When you were in eighth grade, did you hear more about Michael Lewis or Scott Rowland? Rowland, for sure. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Headed into the Hall of Fame, by the way. Yeah, coming up here in, uh, in a few weeks.
1: Well, um, uh, congrats on the tickets, Eric. Um you. Jake, you want to throw number one at
2: him? Here we go for question number one for you, Eric. Who won last night's Major League Baseball Home Run Derby?
6: Vlad Guerrero, Jr.
2: Okay. All right, number
1: two here. Four players have won the Home Run Derby more than once. Of the multiple winners, name the only one to win it three times. Prince Fielder, Ken Griffey, Jr., Pete Alonzo or Giannis Cespedes?
2: Griffey Jr. You know, that question could have easily been asked of just name the only person to win it three times, right?
1: Griffey and Vlad both look like they enjoy a pizza nowadays.
2: All right. Did you see him last night? <laughs> Eric, here we go. Yeah, well, Pedro Martinez also. Looking to Which be I
1: looking Trust me, I am hand raised. I'm all for it.
2: Who won the first Major League Baseball Home Run Derby, Eric? Was it Wally Joyner, Daryl Strawberry, Andre Dawson, or Dave Parker? This guy has a famous all star moment of throwing out somebody from right field, like on one hop at the plate. Oh, Parker.
1: Look at this, Eric. All right, number four here. I guess the north on Jasper was an indicator. This is a smart fellow here. (laughs) Uh, The MLB All-Star Game takes place tonight in Seattle. Nobody in the game's history has been named All-Star MVP, which was first awarded in 1962 more than twice, with the Angels' Mike Trout being the last to do it in 2014 and 2015. Who was the first? Was it A. Willie Mays, B. Carl Yastrzemski, C. Steve Garvey, or D. Gary
2: Carter?
0: Oh,
6: let's go, Gary Carter.
2: Okay, last question for you. Men's number 2 seed Novak Djokovic advanced at Wimbledon yesterday with a four-set win. The victory runs his winning streak on center court at the All-England Club to a record 43 matches in a row. Who was the last player to beat him on center court at Wimbledon? Was it Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, Andy Murray, or Tomas Burdike? This guy was good in the morning. If you go with his initials, at least. Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, Andy Murray, or Tomas Burdike? Surprising. Um, Andy Murray. Okay.
1: Boy, nothing says you aren't. Four for four, like a hint like that there on the fifth question. <laughs> uh, Eric, great effort there. Um, he seemed like a little baseball historian for, for a while with that, which I guess, you know, given the Jasper roots, that would make sense. Vlad Guerrero Jr., correct.
3: See. Yeah, though.
1: Griffey gave out the trophy yeah, last night. Correct. 94, 98, and 99 for Griffey's championships. Dave Parker, correct. <laughs> The strong hint there of Andy Murray for number five, so that checked. But Jake,
2: number four, was the lone slip-up. Number four, the answer was when he said the correct answer. I said, "Hey, say hey, kid." Willie Mays, nineteen sixty-three and nineteen sixty-eight. Stay on the line, Eric. Thank you.
1: Uh, and then we've got the American in the quarterfinal tomorrow. The American male that will be Chris Eubanks taking on the number three overall seed, uh, Daniil Medvedev. Uh, that is the match tomorrow, as we try to get an American male to the semis. And this is a crazy story, Chris Eubanks. I think he had said he had like never won a grass court match until two weeks ago. Was literally texting Kim Clijsters, so you know, a great women's player over the last you know twenty years or so, uh, being like, "I hate playing on grass," and
2: this is like a couple weeks ago. It would be. I mean, I have to admit, it would be weird playing on grass, right? He said
1: it doesn't make a serve as, as effective?
2: Uh, I would imagine, depending on where the serve goes, the, the, the bounce you get off of it, I, I don't know. I mean, it's the speed. But a pretty amazing run.
1: Uh, seems like a great, great kid. Uh, I guess he's 27. He's, he's no longer a kid, but I've enjoyed his post-match interviews. So uh, that will be tomorrow from Wimbledon as American Mail tries to get on a run.
2: Here's one for you, Kevin, before we talk a little track and field with David Woods to round things out. Um... Willie Mays is undoubtedly the greatest living baseball player. Upon his passing, which I hate to say that, but he's obviously an older gentleman. Upon Willie Mays' passing, who inherits the mantle as the greatest living baseball player?
1: Boy, I I, I hate to say this. I struggle with who's alive and who's not. That's fair.
2: Do you have names? I, I mean, I think there are those that would say Rose. But in terms of like a five-tool player, I, Griffey, Barry Bonds, Griffey, Barry Bonds—that's that, fair. Shohei Ohtani, Brett, Brett's a good one. But was Brett a great fielder? Yeah, He's a gold glove third baseman. Okay, Ellie gold De La Cruz. I for some reason I always think it like it has to be an outfielder, like a center fielder, because of the range, the athleticism. Yeah, <laughs> Ellie De La Cruz. That's right. Right
1: uh some track and field you said to round things
2: out that's right um some track and field championships going on out in oregon some indianapolis ties and track and field noted track and field writer david woods will discuss all of it with us coming up next kevin inquiry here on a tuesday ninety-three five one oh seven five the fan name the movie kevin
4: whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
2: Will Farrell. old school. Not bad. I mean, that's a good one. That's also applicable. Cherry's a Fire, of course. I believe Cherry's a Fire, best picture. I'm
1: going for the decathlon that Will Farrell was trying to achieve. If I'm not
2: not mistaken, I was livid when Chariots of Fire won Best Picture over E.T. I thought it was like one of the great highway robberies. I could be wrong in that. Uh, The USA Track and Field Championships have been taking place out in Eugene, Oregon. Of course, the epicenter for running Eugene, Oregon. Going back to Steve Prefontaine. Joining us now to talk about that on the Payless Cigars Hotline. He has been covering track and field for years. Our friend David Woods joins us. David, get me up to speed here, pardon the pun when we're talking track and field, but you tell me if this is correct. What we just saw in the Pacific Northwest were essentially the buildups for the world championships that take place later in the summer in Hungary. Is that correct? That is correct. So with that, tell me about, because I'm assuming there are some Indiana ties, I, I don't I still don't think of Indianapolis necessarily as the epicenter of track and field, but there are good runners that come through here. Were there some Indiana, either at the local or the university-level, connections to what took place?
7: Yeah, there definitely were uh, making the team for the World Championships next next uh, next month. Um, the first and third-place finishers in the 1,500 meters were Yared Nagus of Notre Dame and Cole Hawker out of uh, Cathedral High School. Uh, actually, they were both on the 2021 Olympic team, as was uh, Lena Irby Jackson. And she made the team in, at, by finishing the fourth in the 400 meters. So she'll be probably in the in the uh, at least the prelim rounds of the of the mixed relay and the four by 400 relay in Budapest. And then and some additional people, I think, are still going to be in the mix uh, out of Indiana next year. I mean, Charity Griffith. Who won a NCAA high jump titles from Rushville, Indiana for Ball State? Uh, she transferred to Kentucky, but she was fourth, almost made the team. Addie Wiley of Huntington was fifth. She'll be in the mix next year. Uh, NCAA steeple champion Livy Marquisich of Notre Dame will be in the mix next year. And uh, Rachel Dinkoff, a discus thrower of DeKalb, was on the Olympic team in uh, 2021, and she was injured and not. So they'll. And there meet some meet some other people. Oh, and then also, thirty-three-year-old uh, Andy Bayer has come out of retirement, and he made the Steeplechase final. And I think he'll be, I think he'll be farther along next year. So there'll be there'll be a lot of Indiana athletes in the mix to make it to Paris.
2: It's actually interesting, David, because that's more than I would have guessed, right? So I'm curious in your you know for right now versus years past is indiana is this about on par with indiana's regular participation at something like this or has there seemed to have been an uptick in terms of runners from the area
7: i think maybe an uptick i think high school track and field uh, in indiana this year was extraordinary uh, now you know with the population and climate we may not have the depth of you know of texas or of florida but, but given but given Indiana's population and climate, uh, the state definitely outpunches its weight class in this sport. Good.
1: David Woods is with us here. David, I, another name that I, kind of pops in my head. I remember we had him on the show probably right around the Olympics. Um, uh, Paralympic athlete. That would be Noah Malone from HSC. Was he out there at all, or, or is that something separate well, from? No,
7: uh, actually, he's, he's in the world championship. I'm glad you mentioned Noah because he's in the – the world uh para championships and he won a his first world championship yesterday in, in the 100 meters in his uh visually impaired class and he may he may be coming back from paris with uh with so much hardware he, he may have to have a separate piece of luggage to get it through
2: <laughs> nice good and for him david who is the young lady from pike high school that was so dominant in the last decade yeah, Lena, Lena Irby. Mm-hmm. And is she, I assume she is still active, right? She was in the 2020 oh, yeah. games yeah, she, in Tokyo.
7: Yeah, she made she made the team by finishing fourth, uh, ran her fastest time since uh, since 2018, and, and it's, it's such a coincidence because I actually, uh, she's training in Texas now under Coach Tanja Buford-Bailey, and I covered Tanja as a uh, college athlete at Illinois back in the 1990s, so I've known her for like 30 years. But uh, she's done a good job with uh, Lena, and and Taj also coaches uh, Gabby Thomas, who's the uh, you know very elegant sprinter who won the 200 meters and beat Shaquari Richardson out here in Eugene. Uh, you know, Gabby Thomas, I think will definitely be somebody who uh, NBC will you know hype ahead of Paris because you know that it's it's important for NBC to kind of you know help people who don't f- follow these Olympic sports very much to have stars to follow and and uh, you know people like Sidney McLaughlin and Gabby Thomas and have Anna Hall will be some of those people.
2: I want to go back to Cole Hawker out of Cathedral because if I'm not mistaken in the last games, he was maybe, David, even like thought to be an early arriver to make those games. You correct me if I'm wrong in that. But seemingly what I'm getting at is it would seem that Paris would more align with him entering his prime and becoming a legitimate uh contender how has he improved and where does he stand in terms of that exact window of his career well he he
7: is people you forget how young cole is he's only 22 years old i mean he was running for a cathedral just four years ago you know he went pro after that magnificent college season two years ago and um uh you know really is was you know way ahead of schedule and finished sixth at the Olympics. Actually, broke the Olympic record. Uh, the top six all broke the previous record. But he uh, didn't make the world team last year because of injury. Missed about oh gosh, at least two months of training this year with some Achilles problems. So I, he's he's got six or seven more weeks till Budapest, and 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 uh, he says he'll be a medal contender. I think he'll be a medal contender. He has a lot of closing speed, which is what it takes to win medals at major championships. And, uh, yes, he'll, he'll definitely be in the mix for the medals in Paris.
1: Again, longtime cover of Olympic sports. David Woods with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. David, shifting gears. Hope I'm not catching you too far off guard with this, but we're about a year out, I think less than a year, from the U.S. Olympic uh, swimming trials over at Lucas Oil Stadium. You know, To the average sports fan, first off, it's a swim meet inside of an NFL football stadium. I think that is pretty like, whoa, that's going to draw some headlines. Can you kind of explain to the average sports fan, what that meet is like from a hype standpoint for those affiliated with the sport and what that will mean to our city here.
7: Yeah, I think they'll probably have i I'm hoping for 25 or 30,000 people at each of the night sessions, which I think will be that certainly the biggest, uh, biggest uh, swim crowds uh, undercover, you know, in, in, in the history of the sport. Um, And USA Swimming does a very good job with the presentation and uh, talk about another sport where Indiana outpunches its weight class. I mean, of the world team coming up, uh, going to Fukuoka, Japan, uh, Indiana has four uh, native Hoosiers on the team, and I think only two states have more. Uh, We've got uh, the 16-year-old out of Carmel, Alex Shackle, going, plus... um, uh, Drew Kibler and Jake Mitchell, also out of Carmel, and then of course uh, Lily King out of Evansville and IU. So, and uh, Indiana had five Olympic swimmers in 2021. A total exceeded only by California. So that's probably even more bizarre than uh, than Indiana thriving so much in track and field. We are in this landlocked state, and and uh, they have all these uh, all these uh, uh, champion champion swimmers. So that it'll be a big show. And I remember when. Uh, the uh, short course world championships were over at, uh, well, Ben Conceico Fieldhouse. A lot of people showed up just because they be, thought it would be so, you know, odd to see a swimming pool inside the, uh, you know, the Pacers arena. And I, I think we'll have some, I think there'll be a curiosity factor, at least for some people, to go to Lucas Oil Stadium for that. But it'll be, it'll, it'll be a well-presented and memorable event for anybody who's thinking about going.
1: Yeah, and if you do that math, you said about 25,000 a night. I mean, that's 200,000 over the course of eight nights, and obviously it's a huge deal. And formulating that team to head to Paris, and David Woods will have all of your coverage on that. David, enjoy the time, in Eugene, safe travels back, and uh, looking forward to the next year as we get into another Olympic cycle.
7: Hey, thanks so much, guys, for having me
1: on. You bet. That's David Woods right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Jake, I think that's going to be pretty cool. It's a unique event for our city coming up next summer, again, over at Lucas Oil Stadium. And I feel like I'm a big of enough sports and particularly an Olympic sports fan, that I get it. But listening to David over the years, it's added to the emphasis of, like, the U.S. Olympic Swimming Trials. For a lot of people, it's harder to make that team than it is potentially to like yeah. finish fourth in the Olympics. Right? You know, just making the team is a feat in itself, and it's not like you just hand out. Slip. It's not like oh yeah, Michael Phelps, yeah, you're good. You don't have to qualify. Lily King, you've got a couple gold medals. You don't have to qualify. You've got to qualify, and if you have a bad night or a bad week, all of a sudden there goes your shot at making the team.
2: I marvel at just the overall dedication that you have to have from a nutrition standpoint from a workout standpoint swimming oh, in particular insane. i mean just absolutely incredible yeah i don't think your sleep schedule would be too conducive to that <laughs> probably nor my diet half the time but especially when, at that age the age that you are you know back when i was that age 18 19 20 years old i mean i was hanging out and by the way uh pour one out for the steak and shake in nora that's boy my i saw went.
1: that it looked like a crater uh, hit man, that place it's gone couldn't believe it. I drove past yesterday. It was like, what in the world? I will say the Taco Bell looks really nice <laughs> now next door. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Yeah, well, you got a clean view of it for yeah. the road now. I know. I know you've got a lot Man. of nostalgia there. I, I, I've got a little. It was always a great stop, uh, great stop for
2: us. You know what? It's like my parents, when the TP restaurant closed, now I know what they felt like because... Time is undefeated. Is the fifty fourth Street Steak and, Shake.
1: Steak and Shake still alive? Fifty yeah, fourth and hanging Kingstone? by
2: a thread. Is it? Okay. I need to go it could there. It be yours so. for ten grand. Uh Greg Doyle, Alex
1: Golden, David Woods, thank you to all. We'll talk to you tomorrow. See you.